With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The state of California has rules to protect outdoor workers from the dangers of wildfire smoke. It has rules, but almost never enforces them. That's the finding of an investigation by KQED and the California Newsroom Collaborative. Farida Javala Romero reports. Breathing wildfire smoke can lead to serious health problems like worsening asthma and heart failure. So when there's unhealthy levels of wildfire smoke, California employers are required to reduce exposure, such as by moving workers indoors or providing N95 masks. But in Fresno, the state's top producing agricultural county, many farm workers I spoke with say they've continued to work in heavy smoke with no protections. In a field by the highway, a man pulls dry grapevines from the soil. He's worked in U.S. agriculture for 15 years. I hand him a wrapped N95 mask and ask if his boss ever offered him one. No, No, at work they haven't given us masks at all, he says. We're not using his name because he says he fears retaliation from his employer. And like more than 40% of the state's ag workers, he's undocumented. An estimated 4 million people work outdoors in California. Over the last two years the rule's been in place, the state has faced the worst wildfire seasons on record. But the agency tasked with protecting workers' safety cited employers for violating the smoke rules just 11 times. The official who was in charge of enforcement at Cal OSHA just got a bigger job as head of federal OSHA. Senators will each have five minutes for a round of questions. During his Senate confirmation hearing this spring, Doug Parker told lawmakers a top priority is to enforce work safety laws. We also have to be able to deliver the goods once those workers have the trust in us to come forward. He declined to speak with KQED and directed us to Dan Lucido, who's now the acting chief of Kalosha. We are a leader in providing worker protection, including against smoke. Do you really believe that there's only 11 violations of this law over two years? So first of all, we can only respond to complaints that are issued. And in all of the cases where we responded and found evidence of a violation, we issued a citation. Back in the field in Fresno, the worker says he didn't know about the rule. So he couldn't complain about not getting the required protections. His employer never told him how to stay safe on smoky days, he says. And that's something the rule says employers must also do in a language workers understand. Cantuac Management employs workers in this field. We already sent over your email to our attorney, so he is the one that's going to be responding to it. Angie Garcia works at Cantuac Management. I contacted her after sending a request for comment. We provide everything necessary for them to, you know, use while they're working. Later, the attorney told KQED the company is in compliance with the smoke safety rules, but declined to provide any evidence. 
What's really needed, advocates and state lawmakers say, are strike teams of Kalosha inspectors in the fields on smoky days. But a bill to do just that died in the state legislature earlier this year, after Governor Gavin Newsom's administration opposed it. For NPR News, I'm Farida Jabbala Romero in Fresno. It's up to you, New York. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has announced what he says is the nation's first vaccine mandate for private sector employers. New York is seeing cases of the coronavirus shoot up, including some cases of the new Omicron variant. Serious cases that require hospitalization are still overwhelmingly among the unvaccinated, which is why de Blasio says it's time to act. NPR's Quill Lawrence reports from New York City. Cases in New York are up about 75% in the past month, and with many questions still unanswered about the Omicron variant, de Blasio said it was time to act. Before Omicron asserts itself here, uh, before we get into the holiday gatherings, before it gets to the really colder weather. So it's preemptive because we needed to do something bold quickly and get ahead of all of this. This will affect nearly 200 private businesses in the city. It doesn't affect remote workers, but all in-person staff must have a dose of a vaccine by December 27th. There is no option to test instead. About 90% of adult New Yorkers have already had at least one shot, and de Blasio said he expected most employers to welcome the announcement. The number one thing I've heard over many months is that we must avert shutdowns. We must avert the, the huge restrictions we had last year. We've got to get continuity and move forward. Uh, and when the government acts and sets the example, it helps uh, the private sector. He said the single uniform standard means employers don't have to make their own policies. But the Partnership for New York City, a business association, released a statement that the announcement came without warning and without details on who will enforce the mandate. The partnership pointed out that a similar federal mandate is hung up in the courts. De Blasio's chief legal officer, Georgia Pastana, says the city's previous COVID mandates have so far survived legal challenges. The health commissioner has an obligation and a responsibility to protect the public health, and it is across the board, so it's not picking one uh, industry over another and, and treating them differently. So we're confident that this will survive any challenges. The mandate also has to survive into the next mayor's administration. Just four days after it takes effect, mayor-elect Eric Adams takes office. His spokesman said Adams will look at the policy then. Quill Lawrence, NPR News, New York. A shortage of daycare workers across the state has caused thousands of families in Massachusetts to be waitlisted for child care. The wait is preventing many parents from going back to work at a time when many industries are in need of employees. GBH Radio's Craig Lamolt reports the root of the problem is low wages for daycare workers, highlighted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Janiah Tony of Dorchester worked at a group home for the elderly until two days before her son Levi was born. Now he's 11 months old and Tony's ready to return to her job. I'm a single mother, you know, I gotta get back to work. So she's trying to find Levi a spot in daycare. But the private daycares she looked into were really expensive. $500, $600 a week. I can't afford that. So she's on a wait list to get Levi a state-subsidized spot in daycare. And she's worried if one doesn't open up soon, her work may stop holding a job for her. 
<laughs> Little Levi isn't alone. He's one of 15,000 Massachusetts children currently on the wait list for a state-subsidized daycare spot. There just aren't enough early education classrooms because of the shortage of workers interested in low-paying daycare jobs. And it's not just subsidized daycares for lower-income families. Three-quarters of Massachusetts kids in daycare don't get a subsidy, and many of those families are having a hard time finding childcare too. The class of preschoolers bounce balls and chase each other around a gym at the Nurturey Learning Lab in Jamaica Plain. Nurturey's president and CEO, Laura Perrill, says they used to run five state-subsidized daycare centers, but they couldn't find enough staff for all their classrooms. There just aren't people out there who are willing to enter into the childcare field primarily due to the low wages and challenging work. In September, Nurturey consolidated its staff into four locations. They also took a bit of a gamble and gave their employees a bonus and a raise of a dollar an hour using funding they got from federal grants, despite the fact there's no guarantee more of that financial support is coming. We talk about this as a staffing crisis. It's really a wage crisis. The average daycare teacher in Massachusetts makes $19.44 an hour, according to the State Department of Early Education and Care. And most assistants make no more than $16 an hour. William Eddy of the Massachusetts Association of Early Education and Care says this is not a new problem. Early educators in this Commonwealth, over 30% of them are on some form of public assistance. There's something wrong with that. He says many daycare centers impacted by the pandemic stayed open only because of federal pandemic grants. Stabilizing is so important, but if we don't get into how do we find staff and pay them wages that are livable, we will not be able to sustain these programs. State Representative Alice Peisch co-chairs a special legislative commission tasked with figuring out how to sustain those programs. She says the lack of daycare access isn't just a problem for the lowest income parents who qualify for state subsidies. There's also, I think, a large group that doesn't qualify for the subsidy but for whom the market rates are just beyond their reach. A single parent with one child who makes $45,000 a year doesn't qualify for a state subsidy, but would have a hard time paying the nearly $21,000 a year it costs on average to have an infant in daycare in Massachusetts, according to the Economic Policy Institute think tank. Peisch says the whole conversation around paying for early childhood education could change significantly if the massive federal budget bill known as the Build Back Better Act becomes law. That has significant, significant funding for early education and care. And if that comes through, I think that will be of enormous help. The House version of that bill, which passed in late October, would invest about $380 billion over six years in childcare and pre-K, with the goal of making childcare free for low-income families. It would also cap daycare costs at 7% of income for most other families. The U.S. Senate is still debating the details of their version of that legislation. Here in Massachusetts, advocates for early childhood education are hoping what the feds ultimately come up with will go a long way towards supporting both the people working in the child care industry and the families who need them. Craig Lamolt, GBH, Boston's local NPR. If you ask for miracles, dear, I give you the FBI. Many things about the FBI are secret. This one is not. It has a diversity problem, particularly when it comes to its special agents. The Bureau says it's trying to change that and has recently launched a new initiative reaching out to historically black colleges and universities. NPR Justice Correspondent Ryan Lucas reports. On a recent afternoon, a few dozen students from Howard University logged onto their computers for a virtual career fair. 
I'll go ahead and get started because I have very special guests on hand today. And I'll make sure that we hear from all of them. This particular session wasn't put on by a Fortune 500 company or a high-powered consulting firm. Instead, it was the FBI's Washington field office. Real quick about me, my name is Jeff Fraze. I'm a special agent. The presentation was part of what the FBI calls the Beacon Project. The Bureau launched the initiative this past summer with a meeting headlined by Director Christopher Wray and the presidents of more than two dozen historically black universities and colleges, including Howard. Scott McMillian is the FBI's chief diversity officer. Here's how he describes its goal. It's really to reach out to those communities and ensure that they recognize that there is a place for their students in the FBI. McMillian was named chief diversity officer this spring as part of what Ray says is an effort to diversify the FBI's ranks. And looking at the numbers, there is no doubt a problem, particularly in the FBI's trademark job of special agent. According to FBI data, 80 percent of special agents are white. Less than 5 percent are black. It has always been a challenge for the FBI uh, to have diversity in the ranks, particularly in the special agent position. Some of that, McMillian attributes to the FBI's own checkered past with the black community, including the Bureau's surveillance of the civil rights movement. Historically, we have not been the best, particularly for the African-American community, uh, where you're talking about surveillance operations, where you're talking about the civil rights failures that the FBI has had. Over the past two decades or so, he says that the FBI's efforts to hire more African-American agents have been inconsistent. The latest effort aims to change that. The project itself is designed to ensure that we, if I can put it in this way, put our, keep our foot on the gas. Several black retired agents have teamed up to try to ensure the FBI does just that. One of them is Michael Mason. He served 23 years in the Bureau before retiring as one of the three highest-ranking African-Americans in FBI history. Mason says back in the early 1990s, there was outreach to HBCUs, but it was spotty. He says the FBI needs to be more methodical and purposeful in its recruitment of African-Americans and other people of color to get the diverse workforce it says it wants. It's not enough to say, well, we are, you know, we are uh, non-discriminating. We hire uh, people from all walks of life. That may be true. And, and in fact, that is true. But how do you go about bringing those people inside the organization? The Bureau, he says, has to be intentional in how it recruits, hires, and promotes, and he likens the effort to growing a garden. You know, you have to nurture it. You have to water it. You have to fertilize it. You have to take care of it if you're going to get what you want. You can't just throw seeds on dirt and think you're going to get this beautiful garden. Dr. Rhonda Glover-Reese retired from the FBI in 2018 after 34 years of service. She says the Bureau has to be intentional in its recruitment efforts now, particularly in light of the ongoing reckoning over race and policing in this country. That impacts the FBI's ability to recruit. She says for the Bureau's latest diversity efforts to stick, it's critical that the leadership consistently show its support. To that end, Glovery says she wants Director Ray to issue a statement to the workforce and the public, making clear that the FBI wants people from diverse backgrounds. We want diversity of thought. We want people that have diverse backgrounds. That's what we want. And I'm telling you that this is how I feel as the director of the FBI. I want to hear that. But she says she wants more than that. She also wants the FBI director to take action. That's what it will take to get more young people of color who may have mixed views about law enforcement to consider a career in the FBI. Ryan Lucas, NPR News, Washington. Health. 
fitness, travel, fashion, investing, the world of social media offers insights from influencers just about every aspect of life. So much so that influencer marketing has become an industry that's projected to rake in $13.8 billion this year. But much like any other industry, black influencers have not been paid their fair share. According to a new study by the MLS Group and the Influencer League, white social media influencers earn 35% more than black influencers on average. The study also suggested that influencer racial wealth gap outpaces several other industries like construction, media, finance, and education. 49% of black influencers say race has played a significant role in low pay rates for sponsored posts and affiliated program offers. And when it comes to posting about social issues, 59% of black influencers feel that posting about race will hurt their pockets, while only 14% of white influencers feel the same. While influencer marketing is a relatively new terrain, the same old economic inequalities have once again led to lower wages for black workers. Joining me now is Professor of Social Media and Marketing at Howard University, Dana Williams-Johnson. Professor Williams-Johnson, it just seems like the same old thing, but you know, talk to us a little bit about why this gap exists. You know, can, you, can you write any of it off to the kinds of brands that, that the black influencers would be you know, trying to market, or is it just what we think it is, which is just pure racism in the marketplace? Unfortunately, it is exactly what you think it is, um, and it's racism in the marketplace. What you're seeing online is exactly what you see in jobs any other day and in any other industry. Uh, and unfortunately, especially because it's digital marketing, they can see our faces, they can see us, we can talk about our issues. Race definitely plays into that, and so you can't ignore that fact. And I think this study really just kind of made it even more clear what influencers have always known is that if you are black, they want our culture, they want what we create, but they don't necessarily always want us. So what is the re recourse here? You know, like there are no unions for influencers yet. You know, the, you know, the regulation around this space in terms of pay and, and monitoring who is being paid, what is not really in place yet. So what is the recourse for these black influencers to ensure or have a better shot at getting an equitable pay? I think a lot of it comes down to conversations that we have within the industry um, and that people are actually talking and having real conversations. One of the things that I love to do in my classroom is bring in influencers and people that I know and that I've worked with. I would, would be considered a micro-influencer myself online um, and having people talk about the realities of it, what they experience, what they get in terms of pay. I think a lot of times people don't want to talk about pay, but it's something that we need to address. You can even look at TikTok and the recent TikTok ban where TikTok went on strike. Black TikTokers went on strike because they said, hey, we create all these dances, we create all these trends, and no one wants to acknowledge that it's us that started it. And then the white creators come, take the dances over, make them popular, and then get all the opportunities from that. So I think it's those kinds of movements of saying, hey, we're not going to stand for it. We want equity. We want acknowledgement. Um, and we are all talking amongst ourselves. I think that also helps the movement, too. Is there any way to hold the companies themselves 
uh, you know, responsible in any way? I think that's a challenge because every company will tell you, well, we build a marketing campaign or we negotiate with each person individually. It's the same thing that you see in corporations when we look at salaries. If someone says, oh, I was the marketing director, but I got $100,000 from my starting salary, and then you find out that your white colleague that was the marketing director before you started off at $125,000, someone will say to you, oh, they just negotiated better than you. Um, and so that's what makes it a little bit difficult, especially within this influencer market. There isn't a standard. There isn't a standard contract. There isn't a standard fee, um, which is why I think it is so important for us to talk to each other, have those different leagues and groups and organizations where people can kind of say, hey, what are you getting? Hey, did you get that pitch? Did you get that email? What were they offering you? Did you turn it down? Uh, and I also see a lot of movement online where people are saying like, hey, you have to value yourself. Don't do things for free. People love to say, take this as an opportunity or that you're going to get exposure. Exposure doesn't pay the bills. So really being transparent um, as the influencers themselves helps so that other people, especially those coming up, understand what is out there, what can happen and what they might be able to get. Is there any move to create sort of consortiums that would, you know, that would help, right? So if you had some sort of consortium, even if it wasn't a union per se, but, it, but just a, a coming together of people under some sort of agency. You know, if you're doing speeches, you have an agent. You know, the, the big agencies know exactly what everybody else is getting paid, they, and therefore they can pitch you and tell you when you're being undersold and do you want to take it anyway, whatever. You know, is there any movement in the influencer space to try to come up with similar structures so that they can ensure that they're not being undersold because they don't know how to negotiate? So I know that there are agencies that actually deal specifically with social media influencers, um, but the majority of the influencers that are on their roster are white. And so, I mean, and that's, that's what we're dealing with here is that race is that factor. And so you might have a handful or a sprinkling of um, really popular black influencers or people who have agents that are in that space. Um, but I haven't seen a strong movement for a black agency specifically that is catering to that market of influencers. I definitely think that there is a market for them. Um, and, I, and I think too that there could be a possibility of unionizing in the future. Uh, but I think it also really does take that moment of saying, hey, we're kind of tired of this, we're being undersold, um, we're not getting the same opportunities. But that also means looking at your white counterparts and having them also say, hey, this thing I don't think it's equitable or fair. Um, and, and that's the same thing that you see in any other job. It's the same in the online space as it is in corporate America or any other job that you're going to see. It seems that, you know, very often the companies put your value at the number of followers you have and use that as the only metric for how much influence you have. Is that is that a fair way to do this? You know, because in general of the black influencers, I know their numbers are just smaller than the white ones. And I think that, that is kind of a natural racism that kind of lurks in the space in general. Like some people are just more interested in having this kind of person tell them about tech then this person tells them about tech and they're not they don't consciously think that they're doing it because of racial reason but they like the way that person sounds they like the way that person looks like the way that person explains things and that does have a racial dynamic so is just the number of followers you have 
a good enough metric for your influence? What you're typically told is that it's based on an engagement score. And so you're going to look at the number of followers that you have versus the number of likes that you have. But what a company really wants is engagement. So you can be a micro-influencer. You can be someone who has a smaller audience. But if your audience is plugged in and if your audience is responding, then those are people that are going to want whatever it is that you're selling. Um, you might only have 10,000 followers, but if every single time you post, you're getting 1,000 comments, that's more influential than a person who's getting 10,000 likes. Because you also have seen studies where it says the more followers you have, the less authentic people think that you are. So it is your micro-influencers and your people who have the smaller audiences who you find are the most dedicated, the ones that love that person. Um, and those are the people that I think that are the ones that do the best and probably sell the most and have some of the strongest influence because you feel like you have a connection with that person. Um, and so that is where black influencers can shine too. A new study is confirming many of us have suspected for some time about just how much code switching at work impacts black professionals. According to a new study in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, Black employees are perceived as more professional when they adjust their behavior to mirror white norms. The study found that when white participants were presented with audio, visuals, or texts from fictitious black professionals, the white respondents received the black employees who were co-switching their behavior, their style of speech, name selection, or hairstyles as with, to white norms as more professional employees. The research group said this about their findings, quote, this racial code switching requires marginalizing or marginalized groups to suppress their cultural identity, a burden that is mentally and emotionally taxing and likely reinforces the association between whiteness and professionalism. Employees who wish to build authentic relationships with their black colleagues may need to turn inward and examine if they deem their behaviors not aligned with white norms to be unprofessional. Joining me now to discuss is the Dean of the College of Ethnic Studies at California State University at Los Angeles, Julianne Malvo. Julianne, this is just a fascinating thing. It's not like it's new. It's kind of a lived experience for a lot of black people, but, but it is fascinating in the sense of, you know, what do you do? Like, what, what, what do we tell the young black professional to do? This is how they, you know, the employee is going to evaluate you. You can rebel against it and just say, I don't care what happens, you know, and that will probably have some ill effects. But how, what are, how do you take what this study is presenting and what do we tell to young people about what these results mean? You know, I just tell them to be aware. To be aware that there is code switching, there's not code switching, there's times when you do it and there's times when you don't. They just have to be contextual because actually, Charles, you're absolutely right. You know, I think of Dr. I think of Paul Orange Dunbar, we wear the mask that grins and lies, that hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. And why would our world be otherwise? We wear the mask. And that's what black professionals do. I've coached so many young women. I would not be the one to coach them really, but I have about... One young lady, she didn't grin. She did not grin. She kept a, basically a stoic face no matter what happened, and she was perceived as hostile. 
And I, I told her, I said, I hate to tell you this, but crack a smile every now and then. We crack a smile every now and then. We know that we live in an anti-Black world. What our young people need to know is that that's the case and how they navigate it. So I always tell them, just be aware. Listen before you speak. So Learn the corporate culture. That's the, if, if you want to do corporate, that's what you got to do. Right, so you tell them to be aware, but how do you tell them not to get lost in that, right? So it's, it's soul-crushing in a way, to tell someone, like, yes. you have to smile more because you're a woman and they expect women to be smiling. It's kind of soul-crushing to tell, you know, a, man, a young black man or a woman that the way your hair is growing out of your follicles is offensive to some and some people see it as radical <laughs> and therefore you need to change that or shave it down or whatever, cut it in a ball fade, whatever. Uh, how no, do you keep so from crushing... No. Yeah. Oh, 20 years ago, a new uh, executive at a, a network, which will go nameless, told me that I could do this, 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 if I could only grow my hair. And um, I said, okay. He said, does your hair grow? I said, hair growth is a human function. I guess that was the end of the interview. But um, it was sort of like, excuse me? No, we are always being asked to conform. And it is so crushing to have to conform but people make choices. What I love about the young, younger generation is the numbers of them who are doing their own thing, podcasts, blogs, whatever they're doing, trying to monetize that because they don't want to play the corporate game because the corporate game is a game of conformity and the tall nail is always going to be beat down. It's I, it, it, Soul crushing is a moderate way to put it. I know so many people, so many marriages, so many lives that have been basically... Um, detonated by the silent, silent pain of suppressing yourself. I want to get your opinions on diversity because uh, I often see places that say they want diversity and look at the employees that they have hired to provide that diversity and they hire a bunch of people with similar experiences. They just have different skin on, right? So they've all gone to the same, uh, you know, prior prep schools and private mm -hmm. schools. They've all gone to basically the same colleges. It's hard for me to detect, you know, I, I from the South, I can, I can hear a voice. I'm like, oh, that's a black person. That's what it's hard for me to detect any kind of ethnic racial dialect <laughs> because the people who are speaking have basically t trained their, their voices to not have that. And so I'm like, mm -hmm. you basically, I guess this is integration because you are impacted by racism and white supremacy, but your whole lived experience has been to get as close to whiteness as possible. And, yes. and so is that still, like, is that complete and full diversity? And do, and do uh, employers want real diversity? Do they want regional diversity? Do they want the woman or man from rural Arkansas? They might be smart as a whip, but they come with an accent. They come with a different comportment. And I don't see them actually wanting as much of that as I think that they should. Well, I think there are dimensions to diversity that we're not exploring. We can't just say race and gender, especially, I mean, there was a group of studies done um, in the early 2000s on, it was called Minorities on Boards, and there were three 
uh, studies, blacks on boards, women on boards. But anyway, long story short, Charles, the blacks and women on boards look just like the white men on the boards. In other words, they all went to maybe Dartmouth, maybe Harvard, maybe Yale. They all sort of summered in the same places and all that. So the only thing they brought different was their skin tone. And one could argue that that does not make a difference. When you don't have economic diversity, in other words, um, first-generation students, as opposed to students who are fourth-generation Harvard. And there's some Black people who are fourth-generation Harvard, let's be clear. Um, I'm, and I'm not hating on them. But what I'm saying is right. that really the diversity that you want. So we have to really pay attention to it. Right. But, you know, Charles, once we raise that question, we raise questions right. about access to power. Because as the person who is fourth generation yes. Harvard, will he going to give it up to fourth generation Hood? Got you. Julianne Malvo, I'm not fourth generation Harvard, but I'm third generation Grambling. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me tonight. I, I, I appreciate your time. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, December 10, 2021. So I have been told this is our weekly broadcast, Neutralizing Workplace Racism. Hopefully, share some constructive suggestions uh, to help non-white people victims of white supremacy racism in the area of labor. Uh, this is not a broadcast for spectators. This is not a broadcast for spectators. Uh, there are other things that you could be doing, experimenting with homemade plant-based eggnog recipes, experimenting with homemade pumpkin pie recipes, all kinds of things. Writing a counter-racist book, planning a trip someplace 2022, lots of things you could be doing. This is not a broadcast to just listen in. Uh, there are lots and lots of non-white people all over the world who are having all types of difficulties uh, with things that are happening on their job. Uh, us just getting together and sharing information uh, about things that are happening if we're being mistreated, especially sharing if we figured out any strategies, codes that work to neutralize some of the racist efforts in the workplace. Man, we need to share Lots of that sort of information regularly. So if you have figured out some things that work, keep you from having to deal with wage theft. Uh, you put in, you know, your request for vacation or personal days or whatever it is. They approve it and then they come around and renege. Well, we gave you December 18th through the 13th off or December 18th through the 23rd off. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. we got to take that back. We're short staff. We gotta, they don't do that sort of thing. Time off is approved. You get your days off. They don't harass you when you're away. You get your office. You get sparkling reviews every time. You get all of your raises. You know you have a really hefty bonus end of the year that is just a few days away. You always get it like clockwork. If that's your situation, let us know. How did you do it? Give us a few tips. This is a few things to say or do or not say that are beneficial in the workplace. Please share. The number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943. 
pound. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Certainly, if you have uh, problems, would like some counter-racist suggestions uh, to help you solve problems without creating new problems, feel free. The number to dial 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Email is untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Some of the reports that we heard before we got started. uh, The first one, they were talking about the lack of safety concern for firefighters in the California area. Uh, and how they didn't have proper protection and all that smoke inhalation, not to mention that's kind of dangerous work anyway. I've said all the time, it sounded like they might have been some so-called undocumented workers, non-white people, who knows, or it would not surprise me. Uh, they even, I know in some cases they were using uh, people in greater confinement to do some of the firefighting in California so they could really be lax about safety protocol. Uh, I've said consistently, we're in a system of white supremacy racism, If you are a non-white person, you have to be proactive. You have to be at the forefront of your personal well-being and safety. Uh, I mean, non-white people are mistreated all the time. So if they can have non-white people in some dangerous job where they're going to what they'll call it, the metaphor they'll use is cut corners. Either by not buying personal protective equipment or other resources that would help with regards to safety or if it's rushing and not doing all of the necessary safety protocols and checks that they're supposed to do to make sure that everything is working properly, whatever it is, they will violate those rules, especially if they know that, hey, it's likely non-white people who will be harmed if something does happen. So you really have to be proactive uh, about maintaining, protecting your safety and well-being, regardless whether you're out fighting fires or in an office or driving a truck or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, let's see. Next, uh, they had the segment they talked about New York. So uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, cow bell, uh, before he exits office, uh, he passed legislation. Private employers in New York will now be required to enforce uh, vaccine mandates for their employees. Um, New York has a lot of workers. So and they had already had, you know, people scoffing and grousing. Uh, about the vaccine mandates before. So it will be very interesting to see how all of this uh, unfolds. Uh, I know they said said some folks were were pleased about it and, you know, this will make more people get vaccinated and hopefully, you know, keep people safe, especially with cold weather coming and Omicron variant and all the rest of it. Uh, I am not sure. I know we have a, a significant number of cows listeners in the New York area. I'm not sure if this directly impacted any of our uh, listeners Uh, who may or may not be vaccinated if this is, you know, making them have to make some choices and that type of thing. But again, new hour, not new day, new hour every 15 minutes. You know, who knows what's going to happen with regards to COVID-19 and what will be required. I even saw at Notre Dame uh, University in uh, Indiana, I think it's private. This week they announced 
in order to be considered vaccinated, in quotes, on their campus, now you have to have a booster shot. If you had the two shots, have your uh, documentation of that and everything, but you've not had a booster shot, you will no longer be considered vaccinated, in quotes, as a student at Notre Dame. So I don't know if that means you get disenrolled or, you know, what happens, but lots in. That is not typical. Most universities have not uh, adopted such a, uh, I don't know, that's uh, stringent standards. I'll say it that way. Let's see. Next, uh, the daycare workers. That seems like it could be one more piece of evidence where I could say white people don't care about children, maybe poorly paid and then there's a shortage uh, which is causing all these other uh, disruptions because they don't have quality care. Why this isn't something that is well funded, well resourced so that the people that are working these jobs are valued that just to me would further suggest white people don't care about children. I could be in error. Uh, When they talked about that segment uh, let's say I thought it was important They said that, as I said, just said, this is causing a disruption, right? Some people are not able to go back to work because they don't have child care. They said that consistently. That's something I think also should be kept in mind when they come out with the trope saying that, oh, man, we got all these folks who are just lazy. You know, they've been squirreling away their benefits and what have you, their Rona benefits or what have you, and and just don't want to go back to work. Maybe they don't have child care. In fact, it seems a lot of folks really suspect child care which is causing them to make some decisions even i think they've reported a lot of folks and they said particularly females left the workforce for that exact reason irregular child care and then the schools have been closed or not closed or virtual or you know all the rest and we had the caller last week who was talking about the advertisements and trying to solicit people to take a job as a substitute teacher this again underscoring stat just massive staffing shortages at all levels of education you can include this too uh with daycare massive staffing shortages what sort of impact is this going to particularly it's non-white students who already had poor staff really high teacher to student ratios or yeah really bad teacher to student ratios what does that look like now Let's see. The report, they talked about the FBI. They're going to recruit at HBCUs. Um, Didn't know how to think about that one. I certainly wouldn't discourage anyone from taking the job. Learn as much as you can. But in fact, as soon as I heard it, I thought, wow. So you go to recruit. Do they bring up Pro and, you know, their whole history spying on Dr. King and participating in his assassination, allegedly, and all the rest. They just exonerated the two killers. Malcolm X, FBI involvement in that. He was also a victim of their Pro program. Like, do they go into all of that in their recruitment process? Like, help us correct these ills and we want to be transparent about our conduct. Do they go into all that? Do they give that short shrift or, you know. And then they brought it up. They did bring that up in the segment again. Now, I don't know how much of they t- uh, that they talk about with current folks. And even, hey, black identity 
extremists. Is that what you're going to be recruited for so you can go and infiltrate the not effing around type organizations and the new Black Panther Party and Gusty Renegade and other nefarious Negroes ferret out these uh, threats to democracy? Not that I'm discouraging folks, you know, from getting a job. And then the FBI agents, are they treated correctly once they get into the uh, agency of one J. Edgar Hoover? That's another one. How much detail are they going to about him? Um, Man, the metaphors, my goodness, this is not the compensatory call in. But, wow, I just paid attention. They were saying uh, in terms of trying to recruit and, and, and encouraging diversity, in the FBI talking about, I guess, maybe hiring black people. Man, they said the FBI has a checkered history. I know that's in the word, God. Neely Fuller Jr. ProduceJustice.com. Checkered. And then they came out and said, the FBI has a spotty legacy. Spotty. I think that's another one that's in the word, God. Both with Mr. Phil, Mr. Fuller recommending not using. Then they come back and woof the big bad. They say, hey, man, you know, trying to hire black people. That's not that's not like trying to or he said it's like growing a garden. You can't just throw seeds on the dirt. You have to nourish. Are, what, are we talking about uh, hiring black people and having them be promoted and excel in the organization? Or are we talking about growing cucumbers? Uh, let's see. So then we had the segment, Charles Blow. I don't know why, or I do know why. I'll say it this way. I do know why. Uh, I thought Don Lemon, Max Robinson. Uh, I probably could even insert some more names if you give me a little bit more time. But those are at least two in the forefront of my mind. Uh, Don Lemon, Max Robinson, uh, journalists, black male journalists. Um, Charles Blow was the reporter for both of the final two segments that we heard. He's also a journalist for the New York Times, victim of white supremacy, black male. He's an author as well. Uh, and he's written about being engaged in uh, anti-sexual behavior. I think he identifies as so-called bisexual. Um, I just think that that's significant. I thought it was significant even as I was here. Every time that I hear him, I think that that is important. And as I said, he's talked about it. He's written whole books about his bisexuality, so-called. That notwithstanding, the first segment, they talked about how black people are compensated a little bit better if they so-called code switch. Now, I was waiting to hear, like, now give us a definition now. So what do you mean when you say code switch? So they said when they switch up their natural hairstyle, their style of speech, and suppressing their cultural identity. I said, hmm. Oh, wait a minute. I skipped over. So they had two. The first one was about black people on TikTok and social media places not being compensated as much as white people. Not surprising. That's, you know, typical racism, as they said in the segment. I did think it was important. They said that they uh, talked to some of these black people and they said that the black people were fearful. They said a significant number of them thought that if they talked about racism, it would hurt their brand. 
white people didn't have the same fear. I can empathize like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> like talking about racism, generally speaking, is not the popular thing to do if you are a non-white person, especially a black person. I said for years, if Gusty, if I had a program and I just talked about vegan food or yoga or how cool Seattle is or we want to go to the beach or whatever that did not have anything to do with white supremacy racism like oh my god i would probably have one of the top podcasts and we would have won all kinds of awards and be loved all around the world that's not what gus teach decided just not the business that i chose <sighs> thus gusty renegade the black oj simpson despised worldwide uh, now, they said, when talking about in the second segment, they said the uh, code switching. Oh, and back, wait a minute, even before I get to that, the metaphors again, when they were talking about uh, black people not being compensated as much on TikTok and these other platforms, they said natural racism. Mr. Blow asked, is this natural racism? I don't even know what that is. Is there such a thing as unnatural racism? So this is natural racism that lurks in the space. I don't know what that is either. Racism lurking. You could have a racist lurking, but racism that lurks in the space. Talked about that for years. We talk about racism, white supremacy in such a nebulous manner. It's not uh, something in terms of racism is the product of something people are doing people who are classified as white specifically it doesn't get talked about that way it gets talked about in a very ambiguous deliberately ambiguous manner so that white people are not identified as the culprits uh, and they said uh, they even minimized it or 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 yeah, so I could minimize it by saying that they didn't think that white people were necessarily being uh, nefarious and said, oh, well, I don't want a black person to explain this concept to me or that concept or whatever it is. They're just more comfortable with someone who looks like them or, you know, all these other all this other nonsense. And that is clearly not true. There's so many studies that have said white people do not want to live next to black people. Uh, they've been furious about black people getting jobs and what have you and any sort of sense that black people are catching up to them in any way shape or form it is not that oh i wasn't even thinking about racism i wasn't even thinking about you know this is a negro this is an ape uh here i just was more comfortable with someone who that i mean all of that is minimizing the degree to which white supremacy racism is deliberately practiced next segment and you can look at even that the very next segment they said that white people or excuse me non-white people black people are compensated better when they code switch now then they went to explain that what does that mean hairstyle changing your hairstyle your style of speech suppressing your cultural identity now i still would even need more details so if i go in good morning helen good morning tom good to see everyone how are you doing let's get to work is that code switching that's the way I would sound any other like I don't know what the what what is if you don't sound that way I think they said sounding closer to whatever white norms are 
other than changing your like unless you're going on a job and you know what it is homies would it be would it be like what's cracking today i mean unless you're going to talking like that like what are you talking about like i am sure there are non-white people black people non-white people in total who you know do talk a lot of slang and you know don't i guess have not been properly uh taught in terms of what is the proper uh deportment for a workplace setting i didn't even get those type of instructions that's why i think this sort of broadcast is important but i don't think that's the the problem i think you have tons of non-white people who go in they conduct themselves president obama i don't think president obama him code switching was an issue or a non-issue this is someone who graduated from harvard an attorney no less polished speaker and he was treated like a nigger him code switching did not help at all most white people didn't even vote for him president trump secured more white voters both times he ran than president obama that's not a result of him uh code switching doesn't matter if you come in and you can uh, have your hair close cropped and don't go in with dreadlocks. Most of the black people that I've known in a work environment do not have locks. You could wear a wig. You could straighten your hair and all that. I've seen tons of non-white people. Straightened hair, wig, close cropped hair. They still are treated like negras. Maybe they get a few extra nickels. Maybe they don't. Even if you get those extra nickels, they're still treated like nigger. Even if you make a little bit more money, what they were saying about the folks who so-called code switch, maybe you make a little bit more money than the niggers who do not code switch, whatever that means. None of you makes anything in comparison to the white people who come in here on time, on drugs, or sleeping with other employees, don't even have the credentials to have the job that they currently have the title for. code switching that's what they want to tell me uh they went into all that about suppressing your cultural identity we talked a lot about people being fussed at for uh being quiet they were talking about not smiling a black female being fussed at for or i guess yeah chided in some way for uh not smiling and they said that she was hostile you can smile and still be labeled as hostile i know black people who went around and told jobs and laughed and snickered all day long. I mean, big gregarious laugh. I mean, that was just their personality, you know. Uh, and even they, uh-oh, we got a hostile nigger here. We have talked about all that, and I mean, that can be helpful to go in a smile. I say, hey, you don't take one of these jobs to go on the job and be with an aloof mum and to not speak to anybody. I say all the time, speak, you know, when you see people. Morning, Tim, call them by their name. Morning, Tim. Morning, Bob asking questions be engaged and all that i'm not in for the you know i gotta smile wide and give a big toothy grin all the time but i mean even that is something to be thought about even the pause because that is like really old and stale black people being chided uh admonished for being serious not smiling there are tons of in fact do you did anybody they can let us know do you see any forms where white people are chided for not smiling. Now, I know they will sometimes have segments where white women 
will grouse about their treatment in the workplace, and sometimes they will they will be told things like, uh, "Oh, you have your B face. You need to smile more. You know, you don't look pleasant." That sort of thing to white women. I think white women have much more agency. Uh, Me too, and all the rest of it. I think they have much more agency than black males, black females, and black children to combat that uh, in the workplace as opposed to non-white people, and I mean really punished, like fired, terminated for so-called not smiling. You know, they got that whole scene, if people saw the movie, Nothing But a Man, uh, Ivan Dixon the Great, um, where a white man comes in and tells a racist joke, and he doesn't laugh and gets fired promptly. All the other black people there, they snicker and go right along with it. He doesn't laugh. Uh, yeah, we can't have trouble making hostile niggers, uh like you around here. And then if you laugh, you can get in trouble for that, too. So, Anywho, uh, again, I would need more uh, clarification, I reckon, about code switching. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, and does that ultimately solve the problem of white supremacy racism? I don't advocate code switching. I advocate being codified professional logical in the workplace you can smile here or there but i'm not a big smiler either um yeah anywho let me see i'll read one email and then we will get to the folks who called in email again is until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com uh let me know if you have thoughts questions to add let's see abby lincoln the great abby lincoln also in nothing but a man always make sure to include her the late great abby lincoln she's such a counter racist soldier okay uh email again is until justice at gmail.com so first person that wrote in last week we had been talking about or the last two weeks i think we talked a good deal about um computer safety right so many people are working from home or even if you're not working from home there's so much technology it's almost 2022 some people in the workplace uh your job may uh loan you a device of some sort a phone a laptop whatever it is you're talking about safety uh things that you can do if you get a laptop uh not logging it onto your network in your residence uh setting up a guest network uh, so you can have some safety uh, if they uh, give you, let's say, a laptop and a Bluetooth uh, device accessory of some sort. You do not connect that Bluetooth accessory to your personal uh, like cell phone or a tablet or anything like that. You want to keep those things separate. We just had been talking about some basic basic safety protocols uh, to try to keep your safe self in the workplace, not downloading uh, things to your personal uh, phone or other devices from your workplace email, right? Uh, so we had a person uh, write in. Uh, they say, good morning, Gus. Uh, I was listening to the most recent workplace racism episode when a few of the callers were uh, really getting in depth while attempting to explain levels of monitoring capabilities. I was wondering, could you ask their recommendations on how a complete newbie would get a strong foundation in understanding the tech world. And if it's too lengthy, I wouldn't mind if you forwarded them my email address so we could dialogue directly about it. Thanks in advance. 
much oblige. Uh, I guess there were at least, I think, two uh, males who were kind of given some of their suggestions. So uh, I guess if they have any resources that they would recommend folks to kind of check out so they can get some of the fundamentals, as he said, uh, so that he can better understand and kind of better keep himself safe. Uh, I'm sure that would be a benefit to other folks as well. So if there's, I don't know, website information that you'd point to, if uh, he said if you want to do some sort of rendezvous via email, that might work too. Let us know. Uh, I'll get to the other emails as we proceed. Let's see. Yes, we'll do the other emails as I proceed. Uh, I'll give out the number again. 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. We'll get to some of the folks who dialed in. I actually have uh, another segment as well. We'll have to play that later on, but I cannot emphasize enough. It is so important. No discussing politics in the workplace. I'll get to all this later. I'll get to our other segment, but no discussing politics in the workplace like ever ever for any reason i know it's been like lots of uh trials and stuff they had the ahmad uh arbery trial and the kyle uh rittenhouse trial and the uh elizabeth holmes trial and the jesseline maxwell trial it's just trial and trial and trial and trial, trial, trial. Uh, the, the potter trial that one's happening now uh, as well the white woman who killed a black male uh you we are not discussing any of these trials or any other matters, politics, the election, the January 6th investigation, like none of that, the vaccine, my God, like none of that. If someone comes in and they're seeming like, you know, they're ignorant, like, oh my goodness, did you see what happened? Jesse Smollett, I forgot that. Did you see what happened to Jesse Smollett? The Negro went around and lied about it. Nothing. We'll get to that later, but I cannot emphasize that enough because that happens so frequently. And sometimes it might just be a sentence or you're it's early. I know sometimes, you know, you have to be at work early. You might have to be at work at 5 a.m. or 7 a.m. or what have you. So you're just kind of waking up. Your brain computer is not crisp at that point. Uh, and they just ask a question and you respond like Woof. all kinds of bad things can happen. None of us, not one person, I don't think is compensated to come on a job and share your views about current events, politics, even to catch them up. Even if, you know, this is not you given uh, your analysis of what happened. It's not even your job to inform them that this did happen. The trial happened. Mr. Uh, Smollett was convicted like none of that. Nothing. I don't have anything to say about it. I'm not bringing up any of these subject matters. I'm not saying one syllable about any of this i might not even give mr fuller's hmm because i don't know anything about it so i just don't say anything and then if they really you know try to pull me into it hey gussie wussy what, what do you know about this kyle rittenhouse what do you think about it i haven't been keeping up with that i don't have anything to say you can phrase it however you want but when you shake it up and pour it it's the same thing nothing to say I haven't been keeping up with that at all. I don't even know anything about it. Might even just give him that. I don't even know anything about it. And then, bam, right back to the workplace, because that's not what we're paid for. 
a lot of times, like I said, a lot of times these are just setups to see what you know. What are you going to say? Maybe even to get you fired. You're not paid. If we're at the widget factory, let's talk about widgets. We're out doing delivery drives. Let's talk about the drive, making sure that we are safe. Observing safety protocols on the road, not Al Sharpton or the presidential race or, you know, no count Jesse Smollett. How many years is he going to? That's not what we're here to work for. That's not what we're on the clock to do. More on that one later in the broadcast, unfortunately. Lots of examples of black people being harmed and mistreated on that one. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Hey, how you doing, Gus? Greetings. Uh, victim from out of New Jersey. Um, definitely, um, I've made mistakes on that. Um, in the past, but once I corrected those mistakes and made that my code, not to talk about politics, I've been okay. Um, I remember it was an incident some years ago when Donald Trump was running. Um, guy that works in the office came out with a MAGA hat, and he was, you know, he just kind of, you know, was in the, in the warehouse, stopped at the desk where I had to, you know, get my paperwork together, looked at me, and I just say, hey, what's up, Vic? We just turned around and just kept walking. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even engage. And, like, the expression on his face, like, he wanted me to address the Make America Great Again hat. I, 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 I didn't even, I mean, hey, how you doing? And I just kept walking. Even when I, I that same day, I walked inside the office where you have to drop your paperwork. Uh, from the warehouse to the main office to drop your paperwork off. Him, another white guy, in there talking about Donald Trump. Hey, excuse me, guys. All right. <laughs> Just kept it going. Like, no expression on my face, nothing. Uh, there was a white woman that received the paperwork, and I just remember one day she just expressed how uh, – you know, just, just how sorry she was just for the behavior of Donald Trump. And I'm just like, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else? Did anybody need to see me in office? All right. I'll get that. <laughs> you know, so and there's so many other examples that I can give where my code was, I am not talking about politics. In the past, I've talked about politics, and those conversations could have went somewhere else. So... You know, as I got wiser about racism and just understanding that the workplace is the workplace, it's, that's been okay. Um, code switching, I really never understood that because I know some very articulate uh, black people. Um, again, even when they talk about, um, you know, Ebonics and they joke about how black people talk. I mean, some of the most greatest, some of the most great speakers were, 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 were black men and women, Paul Robeson, uh, I mean, um, Martin Luther King, great orator. So, you know, I never really engaged in that having to cold switch. But however, I do, I did, as I was younger, did notice, you know, when my grandmother would have conversations with people on her job, she would just, you know, how can I say, just kind of talk out of her nose. So if that's cold switching, you know, I don't know. Um, even when cold switching came to the dress code and I never participated 
and the anti-blackness of the young people sagging their pants. You know, you know, you can't get a job if you sag your pants. Sir, he's not, <laughs> this young man is not on the workplace. Like, he's outside. I'm pretty sure if he goes for a job interview, he's not going to walk in a job interview with his pants hanging down. So, you know, what he chooses to dress like outside of the workplace, if the workplace has a dress code, I'm pretty sure if you go for that job, you address appropriately. Um, to go into details about my injury, as I reported some weeks ago, I, I, I did get the knee surgery. So I'm, I've been out of work uh, for some weeks now. Um, everything went smooth with my workers' compensation. Um, I did contact lawyers uh because I don't, I don't know what this i don't know what this leg injury is going to do for me you know so i'm not taking the honorable role where i'm not going to be compensated for having a knife cut my knee because of poor work conditions um you know for the for the for the uh, customer that i was serving who had grease on the floor and, you know, I dislocated my knee. So, you know, um, word got back to me. There was rumors, oh, you know, if you, you know, if you do, you know, uh, if you do uh, lawyer up and bring some kind of lawsuit, they'll let you go. Okay, well, good riddance. <laughs> it's in my right to uh, see if there was any wrongdoing that in the end would lead to any kind of compensation. Because who knows, after this knee surgery and after my rehabilitation, I might can't do this work anymore. My grandmother who worked, gave about 20 plus, 30 plus years on the job, you know, fell on the workplace and her injury didn't really start to uh, show into years down the road. She had to get hip surgery, you know, and this was due to a fall that happened on the workplace, but because of her loyalty to this particular company, she didn't file a lawsuit. And this company, in return, um, got rid of her. You know, she was a supervisor in the x-ray department, and she wasn't, she wasn't trying to retire, but they forced her to retire, you know, because they said that she was um, selling things on the job. You know, my grandmother was somebody who sold jewelry. She's been selling jewelry in this particular place, uh, this hospital she worked. She, she was selling jewelry since she's been there, but they can, they obviously seen a way to get her out, force her into early retirement and can probably get two other people for less or bring somebody white and pay them more, whatever way it is. But, you know, her, that's, that's the loyalty that was paid to her for not, you know, getting any legal counsel when she fell on a workplace and that's how they did her. So I'm not taking a high road. I am, I am using all, um, I'm using all, all, you know, any, any resources, any, any lawyers, I'm, I'm using everything to make sure that I end up okay at the end of this, uh, this recovery. So, you know, um, I'm also having problems and I close with this. Um, there is money owed to me because there was a union contract and I'm supposed to get retro pay that I didn't receive. So I'm just in the process of uh, contacting the employer to say, hey, listen, even though I'm not on the workplace, technically I am still your employee and I'm still entitled to 
that um, retro pay because the contract has has been signed and they came to an agreement and they have to pay us from the duration of the negotiation. So I'm not rich. I need every dollar that can come to me right now. So I'm in the process of, you know, making that happen. But workman's compensation is coming every week and, um, you know, everything is, you know, okay. Came out of my surgery okay. And, you know, hopefully I'll, you know, have fun- more function in my leg, you know. I just got to see what the re- re- rehabilitation is like. All right, I'll close. Much obliged, sir. Um, glad to hear that your surgery uh, went okay thus far. We'll wish you the best towards a super speedy, efficient, painless recovery. And uh, hopefully, if you have to do some physical therapy, you'll have a really competent non-white person uh, who can make it a really enjoyable experience as you heal your knee and get back to it but uh if anything number one the rumors now see he said the rumor mill already started up like hey heard you were thinking about talking to an attorney see there that's what i mean like no chatting it up with these folks and already thinking they will have recording devices their cameras and all the rest of it to get as much information about you as possible not to help you out not to nourish your career for their benefit strengthen their ability to practice racism white supremacy protect themselves from from you they find out like oh we have been negligent Negro might try to sue us oh so I think you're doing the outstanding. Even that could just be some intimidation to have people saying that to you like, oh, you know, they'll fire you so that you don't do your due diligence to make sure that, hey, I'm I'm taken care of. I'm going to be healthy and have full recovery of my knee and that this situation is resolved correctly. Like if I had to have surgery and all the rest of it, like I should be compensated justly. And I agree totally. So. Yeah, I I think you should uh, follow your diligence, see what's best, what's the best way to proceed with all this. Glad to hear that your workers uh, compensation has been correct. And then also following up to make sure that you get whatever retro compensation that you're supposed to receive. We've had a lot of uh, folks, non-white workers uh, who talked about that, where it was some sort of constructive resources or wages they were supposed to get. And then they were tardy and getting it to them or didn't get the correct amount it was something less than what they were they were owed so yeah be diligent glad you're on the spot about that getting what you're owed uh let's see the the all that see and he started talking about when he was still learning about racism white supremacy white people would come in and ask him president trump that sort of thing. And he said it, it gave him the impression that they wanted him to say something. I'm suggesting that is frequently the case. These are setups could be for a variety of reasons. You got some people, they just want to get an argument. You know, they want to start some mess with a non-white person. Sometimes they want to see. Is this is this boy smart? This gal intelligent? This one we got to keep an eye on might be that they want to get you fired 
could be a whole host of reasons. It might be that they want to get on a diet. They just want to get you to say something, and then they want to roll for five, ten minutes and tell you what they think. Could be lots of reasons. None of them is to give you a raise, to advance your career, to get you some extra training, to get you a bigger office. That's not on the agenda. It's no need to participate in these at all. And as he said, man, some of those conversations could have went way different places. I don't suspect any of those places involves you getting a raise. Them helping you start a business and become an entrepreneur. I don't think so. Let's see. Uh, knocking down emails. Yeah, and I thought that was great too about code switching because. Exactly. I think there are lots of really articulate black people, Dr. Francis Cress Wells, and we know some uh, who I don't think they use a lot of slang and profanity and Negro jargon uh, in their home environment or whatever else. So I don't know why they would need to code switch so-called around white people now left it unless it's the hair component. Right. I guess. But I mean. Like I said, I know a lot of non-white people who have chemically mutilated their hair and they are still victims of white supremacy. Let's see. Next report. Uh, Educator, male educator wrote in. He says, Greetings, Gus. So we had to go back into the school building to clean up our classrooms and take what we needed. After I was done with my classroom, I went into the office to sign out at a table across from the secretary's desk. The office secretary came near me from her desk to organize some papers. She looked at me and said, you look like a thief, like someone who is getting ready to rob somebody. It was in a sarcastic but serious tone. She looked at me as if she was waiting for my response. I said, does that make me scary? She said no and laughed, then walked away. I thought it was interesting. I had a white mask on with black gloves and black sweats. All the teachers and staff that came into the office had masks on and were dressed very casually. The two white female secretaries and the white male security guard who is retired police were the only ones that were not wearing masks. What an example the police have set throughout. In all, I was just wondering what she expected my response to be, being that she was waiting for it, which made it very awkward. I would also like to add that I am a black male teacher. I know you refer to me as a female teacher sometimes. Just wanted to clear that up. Much obliged. My apologies for the confusion. Black male educator. Uh, And I really appreciate this one. This is a slightly older. I missed it from a little while back, but wanted to make sure I included it. It's the same pattern. A race soldier saying something to a black person that totally has nothing to do with the job. They'll say something just to get elicit a response. Like I said, sometimes this is just their racist fun for the hour. You know, I go over and poke the negro, ha ha ha, laugh about it. Now I'm good. I can go get my cigarette or I'll go work a little while and then I'll figure out something else to do. Tacky. Sometimes it might be I got my recorder here and I'm going to go say something 
you know, and see what happens. Sometimes it might be if I know we got a black person who's real, you know, emotional or stressed, you know, it might be a black person. They had a death in the family or whatever else. And hey, I can go and say that sort of thing like, oh, you look like a criminal. You look like you're about to go and rob someone. They rob someone. What do you mean? Heifer called me a robber. And then everyone said, oh, my God, he busted Helen. And I can't believe it. She was just being joking with him. We all got a mask on and he just got so riled up and you can't even joke with him. See the same thing. He doesn't laugh. You know, he's hostile. We got a little terrorist. And look at Helen. She's over in the corner crying now. She just came in to say hi and make a little Christmas fun and. That's another one. What I said before, some of these, they're not questions. They don't pertain pertain to the work environment. Nothing need be said. She comes around. Oh, hey, old Gussie Wussie. Wow, you look like a regular old Bonnie and Clyde. Jesse James look like you're about to go and pull a bank heist or something. If you really got to give them a response, that is one where you could give them Mr. Fuller's. Mm. And just keep uh, keep working because he said it was already awkward. She's waiting. I'm going to just go in here and say something tacky, accuse this nigger of being a criminal and then wait and see what he says. I'm working, man. We're all wearing masks. I mean, come on and see. Everything is about Negro criminality. I think we had the caller in Florida. He works at the courthouse. He said one of the tacky white women that he works with, they said one of the times, they said the same thing. They set up some sort of hypothetical example. They said, now see, hmm, let's see. Let's let's see. Let's see if, if you, see, like if you were the, the rapist who burglarized the house, like, <laughs> What? What? That type of thing in the work environment where you consistently, the non-white person is supposed to represent the the vileness, the evil. I think we've had non-Clemson grad. This was before the Rona. He had a white woman who said he was the contagion in the office. They make those sort of comments. What are you supposed to say? Most of the time is so, uh, the metaphor, left field. Because it's not work related and then they just come in. I'm not thinking of that. And that's why I said again, I don't think we understand what it means to be white. Most of the non-white people I know, they are not sitting around and think of something, thinking of something rude and vile to say to a non-white person just to get a response. I know non-white people, we have been trained by racists to insult and be rude to each other, but it's generally not. I'm going to go and say something just to get a response from this person. They normally just do their little insults in passing as opposed to how are you and how you doing? And, you know, Count Coon and I know you wouldn't know all the rest of it type thing. All of it is incorrect. Shouldn't be happening in the workplace. And the people who are most to blame racist man, racist woman, racist child. I'm a big advocate, though. Same thing I've said a few times, many times, nothing need be said, especially if no question has been asked and especially doubled down. If it's commentary that does not pertain to the workplace, you're not obligated to give your political views. 
big advocate because you, you can always say something later. You don't have to respond right now. And many times, like if it's something tacky or what have you, where you're kind of thinking like, hmm, what was that? It might be better to not say anything at all. And I would submit anything like this in this realm. You look like a robber and all the rest of it. Nothing need be said. Write that in the journal that this did happen. Said hypothetical situation. Said I could be the rapist. Write that down. I gave him the fuller. Hmm. And we move forward. And I also submit you do that enough in these situations. Not being mum the rest of the time. You speak morning, Helen. You speak to everybody else. But just in these moments where somebody comes in, they do something tacky like this, probably an act of racism. When you don't say anything, they have that awkward silence. They will stop. Because they can't even go. It's not like they can report you for doing this, that, the other. What did he do? Nothing. What did you say? Uh, uh, <laughs> they will stop. 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. Folks taking a moment to get their thoughts together, I reckon, as I stated, not for spectators. Uh, let's see. I'll give folks a moment to, I reckon, get their thoughts together. I'll read one more email. I'm trying to decide because I have that other audio segment as well that I want to get in to really emphasize the we are not talking about politics in the workplace. Uh, let's see. Do another email or check. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, Gus, what's going on, man? I'm in the store right now. I'm, I want to say some things, but I'm about to check out, and then I'm going to hop back on the line. I just wanted to let you know that I heard the email, but uh, I'm at the store right now. So give me about 10, 15 minutes, and I'll be done, and I can talk. I just wanted to put that out there so you didn't shut down the broadcast or anything like that. That sound good? <laughs> uh, that will work, sir. Much obliged. Much obliged. Yes, sir. Uh, Take yeah, I'm care. in a noisy environment, so I didn't want to try to you know all that in the background we appreciate it don't have to compete with noise in the background happy shopping uh be careful you might get shanked uh if you're out shopping it's dangerous times with uh you know the season uh we'll give you 15 or so and then you can rejoin if you want to mute your line uh or i can mute you on my line uh so we don't have that uh shopping experience uh on our end uh let's see while we wait to see if we can get some of I'll, right I'll mute my line. If you want to mute it, it's cool. I'll just, you know, say, can I be heard? And I think it pops up on your end. But I'm going to mute it now. Spectacular, sir. We'll wait for him to unmute to rejoin us. Uh, in the interim, uh, let's see, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, guys. Thank you for taking my call. Um, tell everybody in the line. I just wanted to uh, also comment on what the uh, previous call was talking about. 
about, um, I guess, inappropriate um, comments in the work environment. Um, I personally have taken a stance at my um, plantation to just be quiet, and um, it has brought a lot of attention from suspected racists my way um, to the point where uh, one of these racist females has told the management that um, he doesn't speak to us. And the manager then um, had a meeting with me and his assistant um, and asked me why I don't speak to them. I had to inform him that I do. I say hi to everybody. I ask questions. I mean, I had to ask him, what do you mean by not speaking? You know, because I do ask questions. I do say hello and goodbye to everybody. Um, and um, also at uh, my uh, plantation, uh, after a while of that happening, I guess the white people stopped really um, interacting with me as much. But there is one non-white female, an older non-white female, black non-white female, who uh, casually and, and often uh, makes comments, snide comments about uh, me not speaking or, or, or something to do with the mask or whatever to that effect. Um, and I guess this person does it um, like in a playful manner. I guess she thinks that this will uh, bring me to be more uh, talkative because full disclosure, I was talkative when I first got to this environment, but after listening to the cows, I kind of learned what I was doing wrong and kind of adapted and adjusted. And um, I guess it caught most of the workers uh, off, off guard. So I guess they're trying to figure out why things change. And I guess they're using this non-white black female to be um, to get information or to kind of um, persuade me to go back to the way I was. Um, so I guess my question is about dealing with um, non-white black uh, people in, in the work office. And also, this is like the only other black person in the office. So it's like, and I don't kind of want to go to HR. It's like I'm conflicting on what the next step should be as far as to get this non-white black person to kind of like, you know, chill on all the uh, uh, jokes in the office and stuff like that. But, you know, that's really what I have to say. Thank you, guys, for taking my call. Much obliged for sharing, sir. I'm just trying to get more... Um more information like when she's making these jokes and stuff is she she's doing it like when it's just you two like it's no other white people present no um there are definitely other white people present uh they tend to try to act as if they're not hearing it other white people and other non-white non-black people in office as well um but they act like they don't hear it you know, but I don't, I'm not in the office the whole time because when I go to lunch or a break, I'm sure they're, you know, chatting up about, you know, what was said and what didn't, what wasn't said and what happened. So there are white people in the office and there are other non-white, non-black people in the office to answer your question. Much obliged for the details. Oh, man. <sighs> Pamela Evans Harris, um, she talked about this on we didn't even have neutralizing workplace racism at the time uh, but we talked about it on a compensatory call in where 
uh, she worked with uh, other uh, black people and they would do that like uh, joking other black people and name calling everything I just said everything you talking about they would do that in the presence of other white people it would be like entertainment for the white people and she talked about just how demoralizing that would be and she could see how the white people just got such enjoyment out of all of this and eh, yeah uh, most to blame racist man racist woman racist child that's it um i think uh number one even before i get to that uh one man we've been on the air it'll be 13 years uh if i can survive to february don't bump into a kyle rittenhouse 13 years this february baker's dozen we have had so many non-white people victims of racism who have talked about uh, I guess starting a job not being codified they laughed joked went to happy hour consumed alcoholic beverages with their co-workers all of that started listening to the context of white supremacy and then changed their behavior we've had so many folks who have talked about uh, what a shocking experience and how they got in trouble and the white people white people uh, pretended as though they were so concerned like are you depressed and what is wrong with you and you just you don't kick it with us anymore and we used to have so much fun and we used to imitate all the Dave Chappelle skits and, and why don't you kick it why don't what happened to the fun Jamal and what's going on we've had so many folks like we've even had people who said that they got fired because there was such a shift uh, in their behavior and I always feel bad because I mean it's like oh no that's not supposed to happen but uh, it would I could see that happening even if it's not the cows per se because if you have been uncodified and kicking it hanging out going to happy other doing all that stuff and then you stop like it is such and that's a, again white people are not ignorant about racism white supremacy so they pay attention to their niggers when they see such a radical shift and especially Hey, any other time, I would think that's got to be great. We see someone who is being professional, serious in the work environment. Bravo. That's what we need. Not somebody bringing in a Nerf basketball goal and passing porn on the company email. Like, no, we want people who are serious getting worked. Up. Nah, 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 nah. Not with the niggers. No. That is red flag, especially if you were in here laughing and joking before and telling jokes and loving it. And we played Drake together and. Now you don't do any of that? Being serious? Taking notes? We come in and make some sort of tacky joke and you don't even laugh? Pull out the, he pulls out a pad like he's writing notes. Oof. We've had, I think some of that's in the archives. We've had people say that they came up. What's wrong with you? Are you feeling okay? Do you need to see some? We, we miss the old Greg. We used to have so much fun together. Doing. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, is this I'm our tech? Sure uh, give me one second uh, yeah. for our tech person uh, so you. we can finish up with our caller. Much obliged to get you back, though. But, yeah, I mean, it is uh, it is so common. I could just, I'm glad you didn't report that you've been fired or anything of that nature. And I'm glad to hear you say as well, you do speak to everybody because I say that all the time. We're never on a job to be mum. 
uh, and not speaking to anybody, greet folks. You you know, request the job. You're going to be around these folks for 40 hours a week or whatever it is. You speak to everyone, particularly try to ask them questions to get more information about your job. That is always, you know, hugely uh, encouraged. So we're not trying to be on the job and, and just, you know, be silent. That's, you know, that's not counter racism code and will certainly get you in trouble. However, if you were laughing and joking and now you're not, they will notice. Uh, but in terms of what to, I guess, how to respond to the black person, um, I'm always an advocate of if you can, if you can address it directly with the black person in terms of what it is that they're doing. Uh, if you know it's being insulting or making these jokes or whatever it is, if you try just ignoring her when she's doing this and she persists, I would try and see if you can speak speak to her directly, privately. No white people there. Might even start. I know I spoke with Mr. Fuller about this, where he said asking if she is making you like the butt of jokes and insults and such. And just asking her and saying, you know, hey, Miss Johnson, if she's older, whatever, Miss Johnson, uh, do you make any jokes about, you know, Heather, Ronald, just start naming the white people in the office? And she says, no. Ask why. Now, that would be one. We could even say if you know she doesn't do that, if you know it's just you that she does that, we can start there. And just pivot from that to, I would appreciate it. Keep it professional. I love a good chuckle, just like everybody else. But if you don't subject everybody else to this brand of humor, I would appreciate it if you could discontinue. Leave me out of these jokes. Just trying to get work done. Thank you kindly. And address it with them. I'm a big advocate if it's non-white people, especially two people who are classified as black. If you can address it amongst yourselves before you have to go to a white person uh, to ask them to intercede, that is best. Um, does she do that? Does, does she make these sort of jokes publicly um, where other people are kind of ridiculed in this manner? Other white people, does she do it with them in the workplace that you've seen to your knowledge? To my knowledge, uh, no. What I've seen her do in the presence of white people, and a lot of times these white people are in higher positions to her, is kind of like defer to them, kind of um, try to appease them, or I bought you this, or I, I we got donuts here. It's like a more nurturing role, and you know that's that's what I've seen her do with the. Uh, with the white people and other non-white, non-black people, but when it comes to now to come to black people, is a lot of like, like you said, tacky jokes and criticism. You know, it's it's, it's like on a schoolyard, and it's a metaphor, I guess. Schoolyard, you know, talking bad about each other. It's, that's that's what I've noticed. That's how we've been trained, boys and gals. That's what they call us. Doesn't matter, you know, when you were born, boys and gals. So, I mean, yeah, like on a schoolyard, let me go and pick on you for a little while and call you some names and <laughs> sort of thing. That's, you know, exactly how we've been encouraged to function. Now, she could just get an attitude, you know, 
I'm going to continue doing it and blah, 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 and all the rest of it, in which case you could go get a white person to intervene. If you really tried the ignoring it, that's what I would do. Maybe even starting out with that, like, yeah, if she doesn't, you know, behave this way with other white people. Like I said, Mr. Fuller said he did that because he had the same thing. Black people who, you know, would go and make black people the butt of all their jokes and insults and all the rest. And then when Mr. Hoover comes in, they don't do anything. Morning, Mr. Hoover. So good to see you, sir. I brought you a fresh Danish. This with that type of like you just said. And he said, man, you know, you don't you don't believe in equity. You know that they even say that in the Constitution, like, you know, you're supposed to treat everybody the same. Like every you don't think Mr. Hoover would enjoy your brand of humor. And see what he said. So that might just start it that way. Just kind of calling attention to you. You only seem to target one group of coworkers in this manner. And then the request, if you could just leave me out of it. Thank you kindly. I'm just here to work. I don't have a problem with you. We get along great and everything. Just if you could please not target me with the the uh, insults or, or humor or whatever it is. I'm not in the vaudeville thing. Thank you kindly. Uh, and that way you don't have to hopefully involve any white people. Um, I don't know. Any other folks? Do you all have any, any tips before we get some of our uh, tech suggestions? Uh, anybody with any uh, recommendations uh, for what they think would be the best way to try to neutralize having another non-white person who's coming in and making these insults and uh, I guess tag humor if you want to put that in quotes uh, with another black person how to get this stopped hopefully without having to involve whites ponder on it perhaps give it a thought it's very common so if you don't have strategies on dealing with that one you should think about it because it's very common uh, like I think Mr. Fuller calls it being the entertainment committee that is so common and racist jokes what is more entertaining than harming ridiculing a black person our conditioning has been conditioned. So that is common in the workplace environment. Try not to participate it yourself. And my view is always try to see if you can get that stopped without having to involve white people uh, as best you can. Uh, let's see. Double, double check. Did anybody have any suggestions on that one? Trying to, to, to deal with this as best you can. Stop this victim from engaging in this behavior. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, good evening to Gus, the host, uh, and all the participants of the, uh, the program. Um, I first wanted to start out by commenting on uh, the code switching. And when I hear someone say that, <clears throat> it makes me think that just in general, black people or non-white people are thought of as, as unprofessional and that we have to use a great amount of effort in order to uh, be professional in any type of um, in work environment. Um, the other thing I wanted to comment on was to talk about my workplace racism, uh, which is uh, the job as a, uh, a courier now. Uh, I was previously doing uh, Uber and Lyft and have uh, not done that in the past three months because the courier position where I'm taking uh, the uh, COVID test kits to be 
uh, to the laboratories to be tested is much more productive for me um, and uh, just better for my uh, security and, uh, and, and sanity, really. Um, but the company that does the testing, they contract with a, um, a, uh, a service that provides drivers to them. And recently, one of the, um, I guess, the management staff of this, this company has asked me if I would like to join their company as an employee. I'm not sure in exactly the, what capacity uh, it has been offered to me uh, as, uh, by the owner or the president of the company uh, as a, uh, coming to work for them in a management position. Um, and it's something I've been thinking about and I've brushed up on my resume, made sure my resume was up to date, but, uh, still in thinking about it, this company seems to be very new and none of the employees for this company have been working for them for longer than 12 calendar months. Maybe, uh, 12 calendar months is the uh the longest someone has been working for them so i've really been contemplating whether or not to join to to it hasn't been offered to me as the job we've not talked about salary whether i'd be working uh as a uh, contractor employee or whether i'd be brought on as a full staff employee uh but that's something i've been thinking about because the company that provides the rides for them seems to be less than organized and does not seem to have um, a very strong structure in terms of uh, where I would be able to grow beyond driving for them. And I do have qualifications that would allow me to uh, assist this company in growth and help my own personal growth in terms of uh, making more money. So uh, I've been giving it some thought, and uh, if any of the listeners would have any suggestions as to how I could uh, whittle down uh, in terms of making that decision, if it is offered to me, uh, and also uh, how to um, negotiate the salary that I would uh, feel is appropriate, I would be open to suggestions. As for the, the question uh, in terms of how to uh, handle uh, humor, I didn't get all of that. I wasn't able to uh, listen fully to that question, so I won't answer it now. But I will say that um, when I was less codified, I was uh, definitely the person who would attempt to uh, generate humor uh, in my jobs and, because I would witness other people uh, – being um, joking, doing a lot of joking, uh, and and being very playful in the work environment. And there were times when I would join in when I was less codified. And this stage where I am much more codified, now I tend to not laugh. I'm not humorless. If someone says something or we're talking about something, that has uh, humor in it. I certainly, you know, will you know uh, enjoy that piece of humor. But I am not a person who will 
um, make jokes or even uh, really respond to jokes other than uh, really pretty much silence. Um, I've decided to uh, make sure that everyone that I'm in contact with understands that I am taking my job uh, seriously and not here to um, chuckle and uh, have a, uh, a, a, a good time. I'm here to make it you know, somewhat pleasant, but not make it uh, to where someone feels like they need to uh, crack a lot of jokes around me. And if they do crack a lot of jokes, it's just not something that I respond to. Uh, one of the decisions one of the pieces of, uh, I, I forgot to add this in, one of the things that is making me hesitant and um, joining this uh, company as a staff person is that there are um, quite a few non-white people who are basically the staff of this company. And I'm just not, uh, I'm, I'm always a little bit, or now I have a, a some trepidation and in joining a company that is filled with a lot of non-white people and that are not in a uh, managerial or um, higher income um, capacity. And that's all I have to share. And I'll mute my line for now. Thank you. Hmm. Much obliged, sir. Um, Hmm, that's interesting. I guess one, I always encourage uh, trying to grow your career. If you're saying the place that you're at now doesn't seem that organized and might not be a spot for you to flourish. So they say, are they just throwing the seeds down or are they planting them in the dirt so that they can grow? Uh, if it doesn't look like this is going to be a spot where your career uh, is going to be, you know, evolving at least for a period of time, uh, do your diligence, investigate, you know, this other option. Uh, see what it is. Now, you said they have a lot of non-white people who might be in non-managerial positions and that that's something that gives you pause. Uh, I don't know whether that's, you know, if that means it could be potential conflicts, working with a lot of confused victims. I know some people have said that can be a unfun work environment, depending on what the situation is. Uh, certainly requires codification. Uh, but, yeah, I would say do your diligence in terms of. Um, investigating see what type of information you can find out about the environment is it constructive is it going to be a lot of arguing anybody who's worked there who can kind of give you inside insider's view uh in terms of salary uh, i would say already have a number that i think they talked about the segment that we opened with um black people not being compensated correctly uh, and then sometimes they'll blame it on black people you didn't negotiate correctly uh, I would say already have an idea uh, in terms of what you are worth. You said you polished up your resume, already having a, a number uh, or range or what have you uh, in mind that you want for salary. Uh, if they give you something that's in the ballpark, great. Hopefully they will. Even more than that, uh, if it's not, ask. Uh, point out you said you had your resume uh, just, you know, re-updated. Uh, point out your resume, what you've done in terms of, of why you deserve uh, higher compensation and then also would be ready to 
if they aren't willing to give you the exact amount that you want and keeping in mind that, hey, it's supposed to be a, a workers market with labor shortages and all the rest of it. So folks are asking for all kinds of perks. I would keep in mind if they're not going to give the dollar amount that you want to see if that can be offset by either uh, extra vacation time and or some sort of hybrid leeway in terms of this is the type of job where you could be at home. Uh, a day or two where maybe you could have one or two days at home or more leeway. Uh, they even are giving folks like six months where you don't have to work in the end office. So uh, keeping your options open, if they if they can't hit the salary, great. That's always first. And if they can't, uh, to see if you can get more, as I said, vacation days, hybrid work options, that type of thing. Um, let's see. It's going to pivot and get our tech uh, recommendations because I think he was ready and then we can see if folks have any other uh, suggestions either for our uh, black male who's considering job options or maybe a new job if they make an offer uh, and then as well as how to deal with a black person who is uh, making you the butt of jokes in a racist office environment uh, our caller uh, who finished shopping was maybe going to give us some tech input uh, if you are ready and with us proceed sir uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay. First, Gus, I'd like to say I think you should really compare yourself more to a Dr. Anderson Wilson. You've actually taken a skill set and applied it at uh, trying to help solve the issue that black people face. I can't speak very much for uh, a belief that, in fact, which is one organization you compared yourself to in the new Black Panther Party, I don't know how much they really are about solving those things. Um I look at how constructive are the results that are gotten from things, but that's just my opinion on how I think you should view yourself. Uh, second, I see, uh, I think when you say you're despised and hated, I think you uh, underestimate that, and I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I was listening in for the book club when you were supposed to have that author, the white guy who wrote the book on anger. I think that he probably listened to your archive. I, I believe he was practicing deception. I don't see any way that a white person at his status would not be able to find out who Gus T. Renegade is. Um, and I think what happens is when people find out you're not a yuckety yuck type black guy, like you're stating with the, if you did it on yoga or vegan eating, yeah, you'd have all the white people. They'd be lined up down the street and around the corner. Uh, there's some young Republican black guy that's running for like the state of Arizona and they a white girl, I guess, got him on audio just pretty much slamming the Republican Party and white people for being racist, you know, but his whole shtick was playing the game as if it wasn't about race. So I think uh, that's a good sign when people are, like, cautious of coming on your show because they know that you know how to ask uh, very laser-focused questions. So I was looking forward to it, but oh well. Um, to the guy who just was about the negotiation, what I advise him to do is check out uh, Harvard Law School. They have a program called the Project on Negotiation, and they have a lot of great free resources online. And what it is is it's uh, a, a, a discipline and business and law where business and law meet in terms of negotiation. The people who speak out um, the Project on Negotiation School, they make uh, quite a bit of their information open access so you can watch uh videos they have uh, documentation that you could read that helps you understand how to better negotiate deals now the people that they're dealing with are executives ceos dignitaries of countries okay so they're not dealing with small time people they're dealing with people that determine how your life is going to go and that's 
where they primarily focus their attention on are dealing with those types of folks and the people who have negotiated big deals, everything from uh, peace treaties between Israel and Palestine for however long that lasts, um, you know, wars around the globe where they've had to go in and figure out how to make two warring sides come into an agreement around something. So I think it's an excellent resource, particularly if you're black, because we're not taught how to negotiate. I know when I got into doing my own thing, I had to learn a lot about negotiations the hard way. And I'm a firm believer you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. And so I suggest you to check out the Project on Negotiation at Harvard Law School. They do have a YouTube channel. I believe it's a P-O-N space H-L-S. But just in general, if you type in a Google search, Project on Negotiation, Harvard Law School, you'll go to find the information on it. I'm not saying you got to take the course, but they make quite a bit of free information available to you. To the person who uh, has a black person there cracking jokes, yeah, you got to watch out with that person because if they're not cracking the jokes, like Gus T said, if they're not cracking the jokes on the white folks, that's somebody who's being very intentional with it. When I was in that working space, I used to have to deal with those type of folks. And the only thing I've ever seen that works because they're there for the white folks' entertainment is to turn the white people against them. I know a lot of black people are like, oh, that's wrong. But ultimately, that person's trying to trying to throw you out, realistically. They're trying to set you up for failure so that they can curry the favor of the white folks. You get what I'm saying? And, you know, that's like somebody setting you up to be ambushed. You don't play around with that. So you got to you gotta go about it in a wise way because ultimately the white folks, they don't really like the person, but they like yucking it up. And that's what I mean by, Gus, you're not a yuckety up black person. They like to yuckety up black people up until the point that they don't, then they get rid of them. Uh, in terms of the tech question, what I would suggest is uh, check out Google. Uh, it depends on which area. If you're talking about security, things that cover like security or coding. Um, if you're talking about AI based stuff, Google has uh, excellent websites for that because that's a huge focus in Google where they create different security measures that become protocols that they open source. So that's how uh, like the quick uh, language, I'm not going to say language, but the quick protocol, which is pretty much, uh, a form of encryption, a, a way of negotiating how things would be encrypted. That came out of Google, right? So I suggest going to Google and looking up, you know, Google Developer, one of the websites that they do have. If you're talking about learning how to code or to get um, coding resources, it's uh, developer.google.com. So that's more focused on learning how to program, actually how to type code with different pieces of code blocks do, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they do have a security side. I believe Google has a like certificate program where you can uh, take a course from them and become an IT certified uh, Google security person, I guess. I don't know if that means they'll hire you, but you can take a course through them. Uh, I definitely say if you want to do IT security, I think it would be smart. That's probably the, the easiest route to go. Because programming does take a, a little bit of time to kind of understand because you're dealing with so much logic to the point that uh, you, you will have to dedicate a lot of time to just working with languages, playing around with code, actually building real things. As opposed to the security side, it's a little bit simpler because you're really just putting in information that's already been figured out to work. Okay, so if you're going to start out, I'd say start out on the IT security side and then work your way from there. But if you are good with logic, such as maybe you grew up building Lego sets 
or building puzzles or you're really good at math. I'm not saying that's just exclusive in that way, but generally speaking, those are areas where you have to be very good at reading and being able to infer things. So when you look at like building Lego sets, sometimes in the instructions, they'll leave out a step just to see if you're paying attention. When you do code, it's kind of similar because you have to really sit down or sit down and break everything down into small pieces and then put it back together to see what works and what doesn't work. So if you go to Google, you can look up their IT certification. I think that would be an excellent start because that's something big. Also, with a focus in cloud computing, cloud computing is pretty much what I think in the next five, 10 years, everything's going to be moved towards. That means pretty much a company will be able to come in and set up their whole infrastructure in terms of technology and manage it through the cloud as opposed to having to come and bring in an IT team. So they'll be able to turn to Google and say, hey, we want you guys to set this up. That's that's pretty much where the market's going to. Um, what else was it that I, that I wanted to add to that? In terms of, uh, and Gus, I'm glad you pointed that out with the FBI side with J. Edgar Hoover, which is very interesting. Didn't Wasn't it um, suggested that the guy's father was a black guy or something like that, I think? And they used to call him, what was that, nigger Hoover at the FBI? I don't know if it was J. Edgar Hoover who founded it, but if it is, that's, that's got to be a pretty crappy existence for the organization you founded. The white people are up in there calling you nigger Hoover. They won't even respect you in your own quote-unquote organization you founded. Um, the Cointel Pro side, how can they teach you about it when it's still going on to this day? All it did was evolve. You get what I'm saying? Now they just have much more technical means to do those things, to monitor black people. If you look at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, um, I believe they said the FBI had drones over there. If you look at what was happening when, um, what was his name, George Floyd, when those protests started, I believe it was the Department of Agriculture had um, like a, not a surveillance drone. Understand there's different levels of drones. You have the little personal drones that they can use. But I'm talking about they had actual, like the type that you land at an airport, you know what I'm saying, with a wingspan that's as long as a football field type drone flying, monitoring what was going on uh, with those protests in Minneapolis. And what it turned out to be, they weren't using surveillance drones. They were using, like, the MQ Reaper drones. Those are, like, the killer drones, the, the things that you load the bombs on and you see them blowing stuff up from the sky. Yeah, they had those drones out. So, yeah, yeah, you, you pay attention to how these people are doing stuff because that's the sneaky little stuff they're doing. So in terms of the Cointel Pro, they're still running it. So it's not like you're going to teach them, like, oh, we did this in the past. No, we're still doing it. And, and when they hire you, that's what they're going to have you doing. I'm not saying whether you should take the job or not, but if you're going to take that job, you sure you better be ready to learn a whole lot to figure out how to counter stuff. That's the that's the key because they're going to use it against black people, even with the tech side. If you need to do tech, like Emerson Wilson stated, you better learn it so that you can understand it because they're going to use it against black people. And I'll mute my line with that. Shout to Dr. Amos Wilson. Context of white supremacy. Much obliged for the uh, suggestions, uh, numerous suggestions. Uh, Product of negotiation, Harvard Law School. Check it out on YouTube. I'll post a link for it on social media. Folks can check out some of the videos. You can have to take the whole course, but check out a video or two. See if you find some constructive information. Uh, as always, like in terms of a workplace situation, if a non-white person is mistreating you, violating the rules, whatever it is, you can always go to white people, 
we've had folks before who said, hey, that's what I do immediately. <laughs> like they go get a white person and they can put a stop to that right then and there. My code, or at least I try to offer people like if it's another victim, can try to see, you know, if you can do it without having to involve white people. But hey, you can't all just, always just go to white people. And I would approach it if you just want to go to white people immediately, see if you can get this solved in the next five seconds. I would just approach it as a uh, workplace safety. One of my favorite words for the context safety. So many situations in the workplace become toxic, uh, starting with something verbal. Uh, needling someone or name calling or making them the butt of some joke or that sort of thing and it just escalates from there I just don't you think it would be best if we encourage an office environment where people are courteous and helpful we don't have that sort of discourteous you know joking with people in the form of a question that's the way that I would approach it toxic work environment workplace safety to get that sort of thing stopped um, let's see. Uh, other people. Uh, let me get this last email, and then we'll get to other people who dialed in as well. Hey, uh, hey guys, I just want to say real quick: it's project, project on negotiation. P R O J E C T. I said okay. product. Thank you kindly. Project yeah. on negotiation. Project on negotiation. And uh, I will definitely make sure post the video since I said it incorrectly first time. Uh, let's see. Uh, third email, not white female. Uh, <laughs> greetings. This week I learned that black people can only make jokes approved by white people on the job. Love the context. Uh, it can it can be a joke towards them, but a joke towards yourself or another black person is okay. Hmm. Oh wait a minute. She said it cannot. Let me make sure I read that right. It cannot be a joke towards them. But a joke towards yourself or another black person is okay. I did not make a joke per se, but I used an emoji that offended a person. Now, I read all that now, particularly in the context of what we talked about today. Now, wow, you can joke towards other black people or yourself, which is the same thing, another black person, but you cannot joke at white people. Now, what did I just ask the call that dialed in before? He said it was an older black person. She comes in and does all this kind of hostile humor stuff with him. Does she do that to any of the white people there? Nope. Very common. Now, she said she got in trouble. A white person, I guess, took offense about an emoji. I've said because I've seen this. So many people are um, having to work from home and all the other things where folks are not in the office. So a lot of it is text an email and it's been for such a long period of time uh, where they've talked about uh, and people are stressed and anxiety and all the rest of it that this sort of thing is happening a lot uh, where people they're on zoom and they're texting and the emojis and all the rest of it and somebody gets rowdy I've just said kind of the same thing it might sound prudish I would not do any of the emojis and all of that but I've said hey you're not talking to your friends and things. This is a work environment and it might be extra work with your fingers, but I would much rather do that as opposed to I post an emoji and now I got to come in for a conference and be talked about, you know, my decorum in the work environment. And Becky says that I was rude and insulting to her. And that's 
what? It was a, so I emailed personally wrote me this. I said, what, what emoji did you use? She used the clown emoji. Now I've said white people have been clowning like the most really the entire, you know, pandemic or what have you. But I mean, and she said this was 30 minutes she had to go into like a 30 minute supervision about her attitude and unruly hostile emotions because of this, this clown emoji <laughs> like uh, that right there. And like I said, they have articles, the New York Times and major outlets that this has been widespread over the last two years. I would not do any emojis. If you have to text or what have you, I'm not doing any slang, nothing. I'm going to talk the exact same way I would talk to them in the office. And like I said, I know there's just a general tendency. You're taking, you're talking, you might be texting and talking to the same person for the entire two years that we've been doing masks and all this. And so that's just human nature where you would relax a little bit. You're not going to be as formal in my view. That would be a part of the discipline in your counter racist code because you're not talking to a family member. You're not talking to a friend. You're talking, if it's a white person, to a race soldier. And there might be other people. Sometimes these are group text messages or whatever it is, or if you're on a Zoom conference call or whatever. So you don't even know maybe all the people who are going to be reading what you have typed in and sent and all the rest of it. If it's a company phone and who's going to go back and evaluate what was said no emojis I write it all out I try not to even do too many abbreviations no lols and uh, lmao and all that and save that for when you're off duty I'm just texting workplace texts very different from what my personal texts look like clown I could not believe it I have used the clown emoji so much this year because it's been so much clown and racism. Uh, the number again is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. Folks that we have missed totally, if we've not heard from you at all and you have a hand up commentary to share Line should be open, uh, especially if we have folks with any suggestions on how to neutralize. If you have another victim of racism who's being discourteous to you in the workplace, if we have any uh, tips on that one and or blackmail who's trying to make a decision about a new job uh, to help kind of nourish, prosper his career. Uh, Folks, we've missed totally. Line should be open. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi, this is Golden in Ohio. I have um, a suggestion for the um, one with the coworker. I would suggest looking at the policy and procedure and seeing if there's anything they can pull out of that. Um, in my workplace, we have very um, strict guidelines as far as what harassment is. So here's some of our verbiage. Um, An example would include derogatory comments, epithets, slurs, slang, phrases, nicknames, or jokes in verbal, written, or electronic communication about an individual group or employee, 
degrading or humiliating words in any medium to describe someone and just any type of verbal or offensive gesture. And um, it all boils down to creating an intimidating, hostile, or offensive work environment. So I'd maybe look and see what uh, the policy and procedure says and extract something word for word right out of that. Um, I've had a situation um, and I directly just went to the manager and when he just kind of, oh, you know, let it know, I took it a next step and then um, I told him the next step would be to go to human resources because it is definitely a violation and it's specifically um, spelled out in the handbook. So um, that would be a suggestion. As you said, don't particularly like um, getting another victim, you know, tossed into that. So maybe um, if you have department meetings, just kind of maybe if there's like a Q&A session, just say, hey, yeah, I was looking through the employee manual and, you know, I'm just kind of fuzzy or want to make, make sure I'm understanding what is our workplace policy on harassment, you know, maybe bring up some examples where everyone is included in the department. So that's a suggestion. Um, also with, uh, I haven't been back to work yet, but um, I'll be going back. However, my daughter sent me some communication with an update for people who are not vaccinated or who chose not to disclose. So now uh, my workplace says that according to whatever records where we in, in, input the information, if you're not um classified as fully vaccinated, which for them is the one dose Johnson and Johnson or both of the shots of Pfizer or Moderna at this point. They had a place for boosters on there, but I think they'll I'll think they'll probably change that at the first of the year. So it says effective uh December fifth, you must wear a facial covering unless you are alone in a room with floor to ceiling windows or walls and a closed door for a limited time while eating or drinking or for security and identification purpose. We require unvaccinated employees or those who have chosen not to disclose their status to comply with this mandate and to adhere to our core values. This will include when you are the entire time you're on the company property conducting business on behalf of the company, whether you're on the company property or not, and during any sponsored events like off-site. So if you go to a conference or some type of class, you're required to wear your mask there. So they're They've kind of really gone above and beyond, and they also notify your manager that you must comply with these facial coverings. So um, if you're seen without it, I guess that's grounds to get written up or something along those lines. Um, also, with um, 
my vacation coming up, my daughter's getting ready to go on a vacation, and I specifically told her that we don't tell people where we're going. We're just on vacation because she's getting ready to go to Mexico. And normally, um, I think white people are usually just kind of envious if they hear you're doing international traveling or doing, you know, anything along those lines. So I just really counseled her that, you know, when I went last year, anytime I go someplace, unless I really have to tell them, like I go to South Africa usually to do some uh, uh, volunteer work. So I usually have to tell about that because it's such an extended period of time. And if, you know, something happens with the travel, but uh, with vacations and, you know, personal time, I just tend to not disclose that and just say, you know, off on vacation, you know, just taking some time away and, you know, move right along with that. So she's told someone that she's going to Mexico. And of course, with these new strains of um, COVID out, I can see that being an extra opportunity to practice more racism as far as, you know, you're a carrier or whatever and totally disregard, you know, any of the white people that go on vacation. But, you know, so that's probably another recommendation if anyone's doing any traveling or whatever, just to really not disclose, just I'm off on vacation. And um, I think that is all I have to share. Much obliged, Golden in Ohio. Go Buckeyes. Um, Fuzzy is in the Word Guide as well. We got a number of them uh, from the Word Guide. Checkered, Spotted, Fuzzy. I think Mr. Fuller has all those on the recommend to not use uh, for different reasons. Um the policy and procedure. I love it. Anytime that you can invoke policy and procedure to help uh, solve a problem in the workplace. Brilliant uh, for the non-white person victim of racism who's being discourteous and all that. Just see what, you know, what is written up in policy and procedure, if anything, about uh, workplace environment, what's considered a hostile work environment and all the rest of it, how people are supposed to conduct themselves might be right there and and the reminder because a lot of places they do have those like weekly or monthly um staff meetings that type of a thing to just you can read it exactly from policy and procedure uh and just if we can get a reminder or some tips on what's acceptable and how we are to supposed to treat other employees and again all this under the banner of safety minimizing workplace toxicity Love it. Uh, and then for sure. Uh, yes, sir. Just last thing real quick. The if you are taking any sort of vacation time off, even if you're not going anywhere, you're going to go home, paint your toenails and watch TV for a week. Whatever. You do not need to give any details at all. Like none, even indirectly. I've talked about if you have social media going to Mexico, take some photographs out with your fruity drink out on the beach getting some sunshine make sure you're not social media friends with any of the white people that you work with or even really in my view the non-white people you work with because they could that's what i mean indirectly 
they could end up posting or they find out and then they tell everybody that, oh, wow, did you know she was in Jamaica? Oh, wow, did you know she was in Montego Bay? Wow. Wonder what she was doing down there, how much drugs she was smuggling back from Jamaica, that type of a thing. Or the COVID, like, oh, my Lord, I bet she's brought back the Jamaican Rona. The Jamaican Omicron variant. You don't want any of that. No details. I'm taking some time off. Deliberately vague. Same thing. These are not your family. These are not your friends. They don't need to know where you went on vacation. And what I've seen before, like she said, let them find out. This nigger went where? Mexico? I haven't gone to Mexico. Negril? I haven't gone to Negril. South Africa? What are you doing in South Africa? And we really got to go work on you now like that. Let me go tell Rhonda and the rest of them. Did you hear this? Nigra is globe trotting and all. Let's see if we can get her passport revoked. That type of a thing. The mail caller. Uh, yes, sir. Greetings to everybody. Oh, that's a retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yes, uh, I've had experience uh, with the uh, non-white employee attempting uh, to, well, in in that particular case, he wasn't trying, he wasn't attempting to uh, make me a part of his comedy comedy show, but uh, nevertheless, it still is in that department. Uh, just like the uh, former teammate of Mr. Brown stated, the first thing is deal with it immediately. I mean, seconds, if not minutes afterwards. The first thing I would do is ask the person, can I talk to you, sir, ma'am? Uh, get their permission, and uh, which you probably will. And as soon as they see, as soon as they see the look in your face, maybe, or, or, or and it shouldn't be a frown. Uh, it, it'd be kind of like formal look in your in your face. They would have an idea of what you would want to talk with them with. The only difference is I, I wouldn't I wouldn't privately talk with a female, white or non-white. I would state it. Uh, wherever the incident took place almost immediately afterwards. But I would ask permission to that person, can I speak with you? And from there, I would let them basically know that uh, I would not be a participant. I'm an unwilling participant into your comedy scene at work. Uh, and I would like for you to adhere to my request. If you, and then, then I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go right to the the other option. But if I if I think the person is not responding in a correct manner to my request, I would let them know uh, directly that the, my next step would be. Through the policies and procedures on the subject matter, 
I would say through through that, I don't see too many too many people who would be opposed that that would not uh, 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 change their their behavior. I don't see too many people uh, in the workplace unless that workplace is is just totally incorrect altogether. Uh, it is possible, but I would say that the percentage is, is low as opposed to that person responding in a favorable manner. Uh, I haven't seen yet where that has not worked, hasn't worked. Uh, especially with another black person, because they they would want that. They wouldn't want that. Now they would have to deal with a white person, and they know that they would have to deal with a white person if they don't respond to what uh, the person who is being victimized by their their issue uh, if they don't respond favorably to what they're asking them. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that would be my rule on that. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, I think that excellent, um, especially I think getting that person away from the group. Uh, we all have an ego, so other eyes, you know, they might want to respond and what are you talking about that type of thing but if it's just you two and as he says you let them know you approach them you're not joking around or what have you but look like you're here in a professional and serious manner uh unwilling participant as he said if you could please leave me out of this thank you kindly if we can't squash it between us then we'll have to go and see if white people can help us resolve this matter right on i love it and that way it gives the opportunity where we don't have to do any of that squash it between us go about our business never have to involve white people I I at least would hope most non-white people especially most black people they can understand that I'm like right on let's not bother these white people at all go about our business right on um yeah, and I've seen where other folks have used that strategy successfully uh, as well. Pulling the person aside. But if you need to involve white people, have that as well. Uh, let's see. Other folks uh, that have a hand up, star six one. Uh, if you have comments here to share, if we missed you totally, uh, if we have any suggestions, any other suggestions on dealing with, if you have a non-white person who's being discourteous to you uh, in the work environment, uh, the black male is trying to figure out uh, whether he should be relocating, looking for or looking to maybe accept if they offer uh, a job for this new company, how she's making, how she'd be making his uh, decision. Uh, folks have other thoughts. If we missed you totally star six, one folks who have a hand up proceed. Color in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, I have some reports I'd like to share. Uh, I'll start the first one with um, I did 
kind of have that situation where a uh, a black female uh, walked to the uh, research area and there was another black female and two white females. So she was trying to, uh, I guess, sell some candy for her son, you know, fundraiser or whatever. So she, you know, she got aggressive, like, oh, you know, oh, you right there, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to do something to you or something, beat you or something. So, you know, I was like, why Why are you coming over here threatening me? I don't talk to you that way. Why are you, why are you talking like that? And she said, well, you didn't, you didn't come over there for the uh, run or something like that, the route for the 1030 to 11 or something, some, something like that. And I said, well, I was doing a job elsewhere, you know, like there's no reason for you to talk like that, you know, with violence. Uh, so she started to pull out the phone or whatever, you know, like she texting or whatever. So, um, she said, well, uh, you know, I'll try not to do that again or something. And, um, and then right after she said that, <laughs> uh, she says, um, I need to, I need to send this over to the other building and, uh, you know, um, your mom and another person, uh, wanted to pay for something, you know, you know, a card or something. I said, okay, you know, I can, you know, I'll be over there to, uh, pick up the envelope. And then she said, oh, well, so when your mom slaps you upside the head, you know, you won't do that again. I said, well, that's not going to happen. You know, that is not about to happen. She's not going to do that. And once again, <laughs> you need to, uh, I would really appreciate it if you stop speaking with violence toward me. That isn't safe. I said that, like, um, and she was about to walk off, right? Uh, because a white person came in there and said, oh, I have a dollar. I have a dollar. You know, uh, speaking with that stereotypical Ebonics or whatever. So she was about to walk away. And I said, now, are you going to speak in the same violent tone that you did with me to her? I named whoever, you know, I named the white person. And she says, oh, no, well, violence isn't the answer and this and that. I said, that wasn't that wasn't the case with the message you just gave me, was it? She started smiling and laughing. So uh, I got up and I had walked and I said, are you going to speak to her that way? And she says, well, I might. I might. And I followed over there and I didn't hear her say that. And I turned around and left. So the next time I seen her, she was uh, being nice and courteous or whatever. And I was nice and courteous to her, as I always am. Uh, so I wanted to share that one. Um, my second one is I had jury duty, right? And so I had to go to the other building. Uh, so the jury assembly area was really packed. And the reason I bring this up is that it's like, man, like I work here. Like I'm recognizing so many people. The judge 
that got onto the bench, a lot of the administrative staff, and, you know, some of them recognized me how I was wearing a mask, but I think racism was practiced because uh, the white guy that is the civil, well, no, the criminal building court director, um, you know, he was pretty much giving us the process for the jury selection. He showed us the video. Uh, and, you know, I had on my sticker, my juror sticker, and everybody else had on theirs. So he just wanted to run through the line of names to see who was here. So he said, uh, you know, when I read off this number, I'd rather read the numbers than the names. Uh, you all can either pronounce or say that you are here or you're present. And then he said, or you can say, yo, Y-O. So I thought that was tacky and people, and it was so tacky. And I think an act of racism, people started to giggle and chuckle or whatever. So, uh, you know, I wanted to point that one out and somebody actually said, yo, actually, uh, I couldn't detect whether the person was white or not. It might've been a white person. I don't know, but somebody did say, yo, um, my, uh, next is, uh, there was a, a white person who walked into the uh, research area around like 11 a.m. Um, I was the only person in there. And we had another uh, customer in there that comes to look up records. Uh, she was the sitting there, a white woman. And this guy had on a U.S. Army jacket. So uh, he was asking me something about, what was it, the, no, no, he made a statement. He said, uh, hey, your um, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment rights are being violated, man, every day. You're being violated every day. He said, hey, have you heard of the um, the 14th Amendment? And I, you know, I just said, oh, you mean equal treatment or something like that? And he was like, yeah, that's pretty much the, the sum up of it. And I just let him just go on talking. I didn't really contribute. So um, so he's like talking in front of this other white person. I mean, like not ignorant, right? So he's saying, uh, he's talking about, the, yeah, because all of these racist presidents and um, Calvin Coolidge or whatever his name is, and uh, he's talking about the Reconstruction era, and <laughs> he's saying, yeah, and, and and in Louisiana, you know, these crackers are really something else. So I see a black female, right? So she comes in, and uh, I just said, well, I'm going to help this customer over here. You know, I'll, you know, I'll talk to you later, right? So this guy is pretty much saying all this stuff. And, you know, I wasn't rude. He wasn't really rude. He just came in there saying that. But he, he specifically mentioned um, 13, 14, 15th Amendment. So, you know, I, you know, I wrote that one down. And uh, he asked me something about, you know, wills and probates. So I said I wasn't well versed on that. You'll have to go to the other side, like across the, the hallway to the civil area. You know, they deal with probate. And, he, and uh, he said, okay, thank you very much, sir. Um, but, yeah, he came over there with that kind of language, you know. And the white woman, like, she 
turned around and looked like, oh, my goodness, what is he talking about? You know, uh, uh, my uh, next one is there's a black female, right, who uh, has been being mistreated badly this week that I've been noticing because my first week back, um, number one, she came there with her uh, natural hair. And this was on Wednesday. So these two white people that she associates with are, you know, upset about something that was said to her. And a clique member uh, said to her that, I don't like the way your hair looks. So uh, she's talking with these two other white females saying that, you know, you know, uh, God has a way of, getting back at people or something doing something. This is, this is the language she's using. And I really could use words. I know this is the language she used. I really can eat. She said, I can eat meaning that I can say something volatile, you know, or say something inappropriate to someone and it'll cut deep. Right. So this is what she's saying that she would do. I guess if it happened again, so that didn't sound like a constructive like response if it were to occur. But yeah, I, I thought that was uh, an act of racism. And uh, I have two more. There was a, um, one of those so-called secret Santas uh, this morning. Um, a white guy who is in the chat, I think, and today was his last day. He brings over uh, two gifts to the black female, right? Like a red box and some kind of other like candle or something basic. So in the next like three to four minutes, she uh, looks over at me and the other coworker in research. And she says that, oh, they gave me some hot sauce, Right. Hot sauce. I, and I said it about three times. I said, really? Hot sauce? Uh, and me and the other coworker looked at each other, and then I looked back at the victim, and she was just holding it up, smiling. I'm like, hot, you know, hot sauce, really? Is this, you know, some kind of racism going on right now? That's what I was thinking. So, um, and, I, like, I have a paragraph on here. Uh, on this, it's called Race of Child. Um, I'll read uh, three parts. The first one, like on the top, it says Race of Child, right? And it says description slash definition. And the definition reads Race of Child. So I'm like, I don't get what that, why would, why would that be the definition? So it says uses, uh, uses, slash data element type data on race are used in public health surveillance and, and in epidemiologic clinic uh, clinical and health services research. And then it says race is a concept used to differentiate population groups largely by physical characteristics transmitted by descent. This concept lacks clear scientific definition as racial categories are neither precise nor mutually exclusive. 
The common use of race in the United States draws upon differences not only in physical attributes, but also in ancestry and geographic origins. Uh, and at the bottom it says, allow for multiple responses. It says, yes, if the agency providing the data to the child maltreatment surveillance system uses multiple racial categories, the child maltreatment surveillance system also allows for multiple racial categories to be coded. So that's a, um, that's a, another sheet on this on this printout. I have about seven sheets on here. So that's from this application for um, I think uh, something about children. And that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Much obliged. Uh, caller in Florida. Always, uh, man, in-depth study in white supremacy at the courthouse. Um, now, he said he started out. He had a similar situation in terms of a non <clears throat> a non-white person being discourteous and making another black person uh, the target of all of their hostile humor and crash jokes and all the rest of it uh, and violence even you know to have her coming in and I guess it sounded like she was mad she had packages or whatever that she wanted to deliver and you know thought he could do it and. Where were you at? I was ready to come over here and knock you upside your head and all of a sudden it's like we're at the courthouse, you know, it's not it's not professional way of addressing people. It's like, oh my fault, my fault. You going over there to see your mother works another time. Well, I hope she beats you upside the head too, being late and lazy and no count shiftless. I thought we just we just talked about the the being violent. That's what I said. Mr. Fuller said, like, hey, you just ask him, like, hey, when you go around here and you talk to other employees, do you talk the same way to them? They don't, you know, they didn't do what you wanted to do that day or you had to wait a little while longer because they were, you know, in the bathroom or whatever it was. And do you threaten to smack them upside the head, beat them down, the white people that work here? He said, well, I might. He said he followed her. I cracked up. That's why I said I'm, I keep my view line. He went to follow. She didn't do all that. I'm not surprised. That's not us in the work environment. We know might be confused about racism, white supremacy and a whole lot of things, but we know not to talk to black people the way that we talk to white people. Very sad. White people are most to blame to that, but I mean, either way, love it. Uh, And if that needs to be brought up every single time, uh, but I mean, that is, I mean, what? I, I hope other people beat on you and I came to beat on. What about black male privilege? I, said, I thought they said that the black male was, you know, the most devastating and fearsome creature in the land. You know, the Mike Tyson of the known universe. I thought that's what they told me about that black male. How is it that people can just come talk to you any old type of way and... Uh, threaten violence against you not just talk to you any old type of way but i mean threaten uh harm against you and yeah what are you gonna do about it blackmail privilege yes yes uh let's see the the strange fellow 
who came in and is uh did you know that your civil rights are being violated you know now that's what i mean about hey now even though he didn't work there i guess he's just a patron uh it'd be the same thing because it's you're on the job your work environment if there's not a question i would not be you know oh yeah i know all about the civil war amendments and are you talking about dupe i mean uh equal protection under the law and blah blah blah, blah. And i'm not i'm just looking like hmm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get my notepad so I can write this down. <laughs> That's what he said to. Like I'm just writing. I'm not. You know. Uh, and even I'm thinking, why are you telling all this to me? That's what I'm thinking in my head. I probably wouldn't even ask him. Like, that's what you came here today for—to come in here and oh, there's a nigger working at the courthouse. Ask him some questions about the Constitution. Does he know his rights are being violated? Mm-hmm. And then he get into the, these leaders are so racist. Really? <laughs> like, that was your plan to come in here and give a diatribe on racist leaders at the courthouse? Mm-hmm. Like I said, most of the time in work situations, I'm not going to have a whole lot to say. Make documentation of what happened keep it and exactly as he said sir there's a patron behind you i'm gonna go help her i'll talk to you later thank you kindly and move right on about your day like who knows where all that's going and what else he wants to talk about could just be to waste your time uh about some nonsense for a while um speaking of wasting time uh the hot sauce situation I talked about um, <laughs> the holiday parties and such. I think I started at the beginning of this month and month uh, and saying people probably have to, to do the white elephant and all the rest of the tacky gift giving holiday parties and all that. I said, hey, if you can avoid all that stuff, do so. This is about what you can expect. Uh, we've had the folks who said they went out for happy hours. You got to go do drinks and all the rest of it. And, people get fired and groped and all that at best you can hope for not a lump of coal a bottle of hot sauce i mean you could have put a bucket chicken chitlins excuse me uh under the tree like chicken wings kfc gift card like watermelon slices like it's a whole lot hot sauce hot sauce yes all the niggers just love them some hot sauce incidentally I've never heard of condiments being given as a Christmas like never I know people who are crazy about ketchup they don't do ketchup uh, for white Santa white elephant all the rest of it uh, I know folks who are nutty about some really good mustard. Back when I was tubby, man, I used to kill some Chick-fil-A Polynesian sauce. I have never. We got you a gallon of that Chick-fil-A Polynesian sauce. That has got high fructose corn syrup out the yin-yang in it. Uh, I've never seen that. Like, what the hell? Gift card. We can't even do just the standard, you know, goofy thing. Give me a Starbucks card. No. A bottle of hot sauce. That's what I thought. I saw this and thought of you. 
Every time you're enjoying those fried chicken wings, you can think of me. Doesn't get any better than tacky. Uh, now, all the rigmarole about uh, the racial classification of the child, like, man, what in the world? And then to get through all that and, and for them to be saying, yeah, this race stuff is made up. They all overlap and people are sitting here talking like they're mutually exclusive. And it's it's just no scientific base for all this at all, which is what we've said for the whole time we've been on that white people just make up what they want. We say that this child's race is such, and that's what it is, based on what we say it is. All of this, I mean, hey, if that's all what it is, why are we even keeping these racial classifications? Why are we down here? We got the archive section and the covenants and all this. Why not just toss all this out? No more marking racial classifications, because that's, that's just a bunch of fooey. There's no scientific merit. Why not that? No. white supremacy racism rolling strong but just always think that that is uh, important uh, when they start to get down and give the especially if you have a job where they get into the details about these racial classifications and all of the confusion that, that could abound because at the end of the day just what they said in that form this is all nonsense it's what we say it is at the courthouse when you go down to adjudicate it's what we say it is uh, and no surprise, he had jury duties, jury duty, excuse me, where he goes over there. I don't know if the judge is being tacky or not telling people, yo, like that is not it's just here present. Yes. Morning. That will suffice. Yo. Uh, and these are all the homies, you know, you work down at the, uh, the segregate, even in the segregated section. These are all the homies, uh, that you should know. I would think that would, that would be, uh, if you were classified as white and or we were in a system of justice, it would just be, oh, hey, he came over to our side of the world today. Good to see you and all the rest of it. We could have our little legal rapport. All of our staffers are in the house, but probably just another to the resident troublemaker. We know him. We saw him in the newsletter. Got to watch that one. Much obliged to our color in Florida. Uh, let's see. We have. We're basically done. I'm just checking to see if we miss anybody. Is anybody that had a hand up that we missed totally? We didn't miss anyone. If that is the case, I am uh, ecstatic. We nabbed everybody who dialed in with a hand up. May I be heard again? I'll assume that is a yes, since he said again. Yes, sir. Yes, I just wanted to make a, uh, a quick update. I did uh, uh, call in regarding my child having uh, m- being mistreated inside the school and the way that uh, some of the callers advised uh, to address the issue was to... Um, get a meeting with the principal. I wrote the principal a, a, a letter, an email, excuse me, uh, about the subject. And it was very detailed. And uh, it's been roughly two and a half weeks, and I have not received a reply 
from the principal, and the next step is for me to uh, go to the chancellor regarding the district chancellor uh, for my borough regarding the issue. Uh, and I wanted to update one more thing regarding uh, COVID. Uh, the mayor of New York City has now um, implemented a protocol that all children who are um, five and older have to be vaccinated in order to attend uh, certain events uh, throughout the city. Uh, that means indoor dining. Uh, that means uh, any type of concerts or any type of museums. I'm not sure what that regulation is going to require of the in-person classroom schools, but that is to be determined. And I'll mute my line. Mm. Much obliged for the update. I guess let us know uh, once you're able to meet uh, either with the chancellor or principal or someone to address the situation with your son. Lovely sense of urgency uh, with regards to your child's uh, academic development. Uh, Nick, over the road, uh, did you have a quick comment before we get ready to wrap up? Saw you here as well. Nick, over the road. Uh, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Greetings and greetings, everyone. Um, I wanted to uh, maybe give some advice to the person that was thinking about making a career change. Um, from what I gather, I'm, I'm assuming that he's a um, independent contractor at the moment, and from I'm also one. So, and but basically, what I learned is that you have more control when you are a contractor um, in the believe it's Black's Law Dictionary employee, it actually says an employee is a slave. Um, really look at your life plan and um, like a few steps forward because that's that's a pretty that's a pretty major move. Um because they can use anything in their employee manual to to cause you problems. Um you have more control um even the people that I come into contact um, where I work um, are different. Our conversations are different. Um, when you're an employee, um, like sometimes they'll let you get away with little things, and then when they really want to come for you, they'll bring things up from even year, months and years ago and say, hey, this is why we're letting you go. And there's a lot of retaliation when it comes to, like, employees. Um, but yeah, just just really look at look at do crunch the numbers, um, look at your support system, um, and, and just things like that. Because really research these contracts because you have a lot of legal. For example, um, um, I, like I would get loads from the company's dispatcher or whatnot, and I guess he didn't realize I was an independent contractor. And I told him like, hey, no, I'm not taking this load because I'll be a day late. I don't count the day I pick up and the day I drop off as my drive days. That one would have put me a day late, and I told him no. So he calls me. He was like, hey, you do what we tell you to do. You're an employee, and I'll have to say, hold on. You know, I, I'm an independent contractor. You, 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 maybe they didn't tell you this. And then that was a Friday come Monday. I was getting text messages like, hey, can you do this one? yes or no or hey can you do this one it was a completely different conversation with him um and i also wanted to bring up something for that uh that that black on black decodification um 
at at the at the uh, workplace. Um, if you record everything, regardless how you approach it, record everything. Get a voice recorder, and and I tell people when you step on your porch, hit the record button and let it record until you get home. Um, to go to someone privately is is like a sign of respect. Not to put something out into the public um, where it can maybe embarrass them or whatnot. I mean, both some some males and females are also known for exchanging favors um, with some of the higher-ups at companies. Um, so going right to them may not necessarily want to be the first thing you do because you don't know what kind of pull or or advantages they may have when it comes to reporting something like that. Um, and, yeah, it's, there's really no guarantee that they would even do anything about it. Um, and, yeah, and, and that's, that's all I had to share. And, Gus, hike many miles for me. I'll mute my line. That is the plan. If the uh, weather relents just a, a hair, it has been, oof, I mean, I guess it is wintertime December, but wow, it has been worst winter, worst autumn ever. But uh, hopefully, yes, that is the plan. Get some hiking in. Uh, much obliged, Nick over the road. Much obliged for the updates. I uh, hope it was worthy of everyone's time and energy uh, this Friday evening. We should be here uh, tomorrow, a little less than 24 hours, for the compensatory call-in. Normal time, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll try to catch up on what has gone down the last seven days or so on the plantation. Uh, the holiday nonsense uh, notwithstanding. The Jesse Smollett trial and lots of other things have been happening worldwide. Uh, they closed the Emmett Till investigation. It's been nearly 70 years. Uh, we will try to make sense of all that tomorrow. Uh, hope the broadcast today was worthy of folks' time and energy. Uh, we will hopefully update and give out some more suggestions next week. I missed the whole segment uh, on not talking about politics. I can only uh, stress it again. No talking about politics. Even we had so many folks who talked about, man, it seems like they were trying to set me up to say something about this or set up some kind of awkward situation. No talking about politics, not even a sentence. It is not your job to catch people up on current events or to come in and give your analysis and views on what is happening in the town, the state, the country, the world. That's not what you're paid for. It could all be a trap to get you to lose your job or, you know, whatever other nefarious, non-constructive plan, motivation. All of that said, uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Those holiday parties, a lot of times they'll set them up with alcohol. That's just another one set up for failure, sabotage and doom. Sobriety would be best. Uh, in addition to being sober, if you're going to be out and about, if you see somebody being hostile and rowdy, exit. This is not a time for confronting verbally strangers in public. You have no idea if that person is armed, if that person has an entire armed entourage. If you didn't leave your residence prepared to die and or kill, 
exit. In addition to being sober, if you're driving, you're sober, buckled, and not on the cell phone, uh, we need all of our attention. Lots of Kyle Rittenhouse is out there, badge or no. Uh, and we need to, as best we can, minimize our contact with race soldiers, the Mark Furmans of the known universe. That said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person no name calling we had so many examples of that this is even in the workplace where non-white people are threatening violence and being nasty and rude to other non-white people small thing we can do i'm not gonna sit here name call and ridicule and humiliate another victim of white supremacy racism and i'm not gonna sit here and pass rumors and gossip uh, about other non-white people either Small things that we can all do to help solve the problem. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's brother. Your problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.